Hey everyone, it's Ian from the Human Instrumentality Podcast. Uh, this week's episode is actually an episode of the Kaiju Transmission Podcast. Uh, Joseph and I were invited on by the hosts of that podcast to talk about Shin Godzilla, which was directed by Hideki Anno and is uh, filled with a lot of Easter eggs and fun stuff for Evangelion fans to to kind of sink their teeth into. It's also a pretty interesting movie, and I think we had a really, really uh, in-depth and detailed and, and fun conversation about the film and its political significance and whatnot. Uh, I think that if you're a fan of the Human Instrumentality podcast, you'll probably dig this uh, simply because it's building on a lot of the stuff that we talked about on our show, but also because it's just really fun to talk to the the kaiju dudes about kaiju. So if you enjoy that kind of thing, uh, please give this episode a listen and pop on over to their feed and subscribe and check them out because they're doing a lot of great work over over there with uh talking about big ass monsters and whatnot. So yeah, I will get out of your way so you can enjoy the episode. So we do have with us today, a uh, listener of the podcast and old stalwart friend of mine who I haven't seen too, too long, Kyle bird of the Kaiju transmissions podcast and his co-host Matt Parmley, who I haven't had the tremendous pleasure of meeting before today, but Thank you for getting on Skype with us. Uh, yeah, and for our listeners, I have uh, Joseph Schaefer uh, and um, Ian Corey. That uh, is that's my your last, last name. name. Yeah, I've got one of those two first name kind of situations going on. <clears throat> and uh, they are from the Human Instrumentality podcast. A recent podcast on Evangelion, which I would urge um, all of our listeners to to check out. And uh, like Joseph, um, I have not had the pleasure of meeting the co-host Ian. So, well, you two have met, but he hasn't met my co-host, and I haven't. I, met his I haven't co-host, met either so. of you, so I, I feel the most <laughs> lost of any <laughs> yeah. of us. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, Joseph and I met of. I mean, feels like a lifetime ago, um, on the set of a very doomed <laughs> Godzilla fan film, <laughs> and, which, I mean, certain people know know what we're talking about, uh, but... <laughs> I- <laughs> but uh, uh, but meeting Joseph it was, was probably the best thing to come out of that, that madness. Um, you know, uh... <clears throat> the the one G Fest we were there for it, um, we really kind of bonded over our love of heavy metal, and so you know whenever there were shows in the area, you know we'd be like, hey, you going to see you know, uh, uh, Skeleton Witch, which was the last show yeah. I hung out with you at, and um, yeah, and then uh, I think you moved shortly after that too, um, but uh, also um, writing about metal, you know, he's turned me on to a whole lot of awesome stuff. Um, and uh, when I saw he had an Evangelion podcast, I was like, first of all, this is like, this guy is super smart. I'm going to have to check it out because it's going to be good. And then my second thought was, uh, he has no idea, but I am going to bring him onto Kaiju Transmissions and put him through our lunacy. Um, and uh, yeah, I am, I'm very happy to, to use podcasting as... Uh, an excuse to reconnect. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a good time. We're here to talk about Shin Godzilla. Um, and I mean, why would Eva guys be talking to us about Shin Godzilla? I mean, I think most people know the answer to that, right? Okay, if I'm, I, let me. I tend to be the guy who like says the obvious thing that like I feel like everyone knows, but I'm not sure. So I'll just do this for our listeners. Uh, <laughs> although we have mentioned this in our podcast before, Hideki Anno, who was the showrunner for Evangelion, showrunner and creator, did uh, a Godzilla movie in 2016. That Godzilla movie is Shin Godzilla. Some uh, in Japanese, it's called Shin Gojira. When it was originally released in America, they called it Godzilla Resurgence, um, a name that makes no sense to me because <laughs> it's a hard reboot. So, what's how is there a resurgence of something that in this timeline hasn't happened before? He sort of resurges in the movie, I guess. Like. He, he surges once and then he resurges, I guess, you know, a couple but, times. Yeah. More surgences, you know, in this one. Godzilla googly eyes. Maybe, maybe I think <laughs> of it as that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. To get, to get the Japanese like name stuff out of the way. So I, part of the reason they probably had difficulty with the name is that the word shin in Japanese can mean it means it's got like stuff. eight possible translations. One of them I know is new. So it could just be true. Yeah, true. God. God. God right? is one of them. I God, think God, Godzilla. God, yeah, Godzilla. Even, even more God this time around. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the first Godzilla movie that in the Japanese script, they acknowledge the American name of, of the kaiju. There, there is like it does seem like a pivotal scene, yes. right? Where someone says a god yeah, incarnate. Uh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, which I'm not sure how true that. I mean, we'll get into that <laughs> when we talk about the the depiction of Godzilla in this. I'm not sure that he is a god incarnate, but um, uh, so yeah, I don't. So I guess uh, for for you guys, I don't know. Are we still? Are we season one? We're in the liminal space between season one and season two. Uh, yeah, because because rebuild three was the end of season one. And then like a week later, they were like, "Oh, uh, rebuild four is coming out in like three weeks." <laughs> it was literally the day after we posted our episode yeah. for rebuild three. They announced <laughs> when rebuild four is coming to America. It was like, ah, finally done with my Evangelion podcast. Time to sip a big cup of coffee and check the news. You know, <laughs> art. <laughs> <laughs> Our inability to form any kind of syncrate with the Evangelion media cycle is one of the secret plot points of our podcast. You need to listen to it like eight <laughs> times, but you'll pick that up eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, this is great. I, Shin Godzilla is a movie that I have a complicated relationship with, to to say the least. And we'll 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 talk about reasons why, um, but it's been five years since this movie came out, so um, I don't know. I mean, we reviewed it when it came out. Then we did another episode all about the political stuff in the movie, just because it's very Japanese. And like, if you don't really understand what's going on 
in Japan, you're probably missing like at least half of that movie. It'd be like watching the 54 film without knowing about the atomic bombs or the Lucky Dragon or the Tokyo firebombings or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, we, we haven't really talked about it since. Um, so, yeah, now to have like kind of a five-year look back, you know, we've had a bunch of stuff, Godzilla stuff since. So, I don't know, some distance. I'm, I'm finally going to be able to get some closure on this movie. Um, but, yeah, we, we, Matt and I, we, we didn't say the best things about it when it came out, which was like, it was very uncool mm. to not love this movie mm. when it came out. So, so the, I, I don't think we've ever gotten as ma- made so many people angry <laughs> when this movie came out. I, have we? I don't think we have. Yeah, the only other time I can think of would have been we had an episode we called Bird versus the Nerds, which is actually one of my favorite episodes because Bird just goes on like a rampage about all the stupidness in the fandom. But this Shin Godzilla is one of those things where like <laughs> it's really it feels like you either love it or you hate it. And there's not a great middle ground, at least in terms of, of fan reaction and just some of the dialogue that happens on social media. Unfortunately, much of that dialogue doesn't take into consideration the context in which the film was made. And it, it turns into like, well, you just don't understand the Japanese version of the movie and blah, blah, blah. I was like, wait, yeah. I think one of my least favorite comments ever was uh, there was an American who said, well, you're not Japanese and this movie was made for the Japanese. So you don't understand it. I'm like, well, dude, you're American. So does that apply to you as well? And then like radio silence. <laughs> it's just that kind of stuff that drives me absolutely crazy. and. Yeah, I don't know what you guys' experience is. I, Joseph is a Godzilla fan who's, like, smart enough to, like, keep away from the, <laughs> from the Godzilla fandom, you know? So I don't know that he, he's aware that it's, it's very uncool to not like Shin Godzilla. That's kind of the sense that I've had from, like, general film culture. Like, I was just sort of, you know, snooping around on the internet, looking on Letterboxd and whatnot, and it seems like people do particularly like this movie like at least more than the American movies that it's contemporaneous with. Um, and I, from my understanding that you guys are truly the experts on this, I'm coming at this more as like from the Ava perspective, but um, it seems like there maybe was a period of time where the series had kind of been considered to be in a lull before Shin Godzilla. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the thing is, I mean, um, you guys mentioned it on your show that this movie won the best picture in Japan that year. I'm, it's really honest. And even this takes into account the, the American films as well. It's the only Godzilla movie that's really been a big, big hit in Japan. Um, I mean, I guess the 2014 movie did okay. Uh, you know, it, the 2014 movie did good enough that they made this. Mm-hmm. Um, Without the 2014 movie, this movie wouldn't have wouldn't have happened. But, but uh, it is, yeah. I mean, this came out, and then like King of the Monsters came out a few years later. J- J- the Japanese did barely barely saw it, um, and I, I think that really is the Anno factor. I mean, he's like his name at this point basically like prints money. You know, there without without uh, his his brand value, there's there's no way any studio would work with someone who takes so long to do everything and seems to hate working. (laughs) But he, (laughs) but he, he, everything he does makes so much money. Everyone wants a piece of that. Um, 
but yeah, I, the, I think a lot of that is it, that's more the Anno factor than the Godzilla brand, which is is you know, I mean, we're getting these huge movies out of Hollywood, but it's still very much a niche, like within a niche. And Anno, you know, his name value was able to bring it probably more box office attention. Um, but yeah, I mean, if people like the movie, that's great. If people love the movie, that's great. I mean, I, we, we're not here to tell anyone that they're wrong, you know, it's just, we, but I, I think we have, and we'll get into it, we have, we have reasons for why, you know, we, we don't like it so much. And I know Joseph at least likes it enough to not be super mean to it, it sounds like, so hopefully there'll be a, a balance here. <laughs> um, I mean, so here's, here's, my, here's my perspective. Um, but well, looking at your notes, they were a little more like down on it than I was expecting. No, I'm just the heel. Like that's, that's the thing about like our podcast dynamic is like Ian is the Corey. I'm the heel. He's Shinji. I'm Asuka. I'm supposed (laughs) to be me, right? That's, that's what makes me charming. All my fans want me to step on their necks. That's what's up. Did I just out myself? I don't know. Anyway. That's going to be my excuse from now on. <laughs> here's here's my here's my take. I, so like, and I told this story, and I think that probably like the first or second episode of of our podcast, I was a kaiju fan first, yeah. and I got into Evangelion because I bought the VHS of Gamera Guardian of the Universe yeah. from ADV. And it had the trailer for ADV's Evangelion on it. And I would rewatch that VHS just to watch the trailer. I was so affected by it. It was, it was like crack. It was, it was like amazing to me, right? But I also loved the Gamera Guardian of the Universe movie, right? So when I got into Evangelion and when I got like into Godzilla films, it was in this like very long dead period where the nineties series had just ended and it ended on a high note, but in general, I didn't think the nineties series was as good as the classic stuff that Mm -hmm. like, I could only see like watered down on Turner classic movies or whatever, but I could still like, like see the love in it. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't see the love in the nineties movies. So, so, so much. Right. And then they, there was the American film, the first American film, yeah. which like is is in very bad. Although yes. <laughs> I don't think it's bad for the reasons people thought it was bad for at the time. Um, I agree. Yeah. Um, it, and then they started doing like Ian probably doesn't know they started doing like the Millennium series, what they call like is the third like big arc of Godzilla mm-hmm. movies. The Millennium series, I mostly hate. I, I, like, I think they're really bad, like cynical cash grabby, you know, in a way that the 90s movies were not like the 90s movies, I think, had some heart and some genuine love for what made the, the property great. And I, I like the Millennium series, by and large, disappointed me, um, even the best one of them all, which is the one that she used to say Kaneko the director of the Gamera movies. I know you're taking yep, notes. G-M-K, I know it's hard. Yep. We will hit all the bingo columns in this. I promise. <laughs> um, that, that movie didn't, didn't totally excite me, but it, it at least seemed like a new, interesting idea 
in in this series and it seemed like yeah. a movie that had like a soul it had something to say it it mm-hmm. had it had it, it it was expressing something inside of the people right i also think that's true of of shin gojira yes i i, I agree I, with that yeah i think it i think it does love you can see that that Anno loves the Godzilla movies, which is one of the reasons why he was a perfect choice to direct it, right? You watch the Evangelion episodes, you're like, this man loves Godzilla movies, like with a childish glee and like an, a, 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 a clear enthusiasm, right? And I think that's one of its big strengths. And the other thing I really like about it is it does do something really new with the tone, and that is it's a dark comedy. There's, I don't think there's another Godzilla movie or even another kaiju movie really that's like that. That That is like, I'm here to lampoon something I don't like and I'm going to use Godzilla films to do it. And it's going to succeed as a kaiju film and succeed as like Dr. Strangelove. Right. That's, right. that's well, what I, I like. I think about. that's another thing I think GMK kind of does. It, 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 it especially the first act it really kind of makes fun of how oblivious japan is to <laughs> their own past but sure i digress but kaneko isn't funny he doesn't have comic timing right? <laughs> he is a very unfunny man he's i've, an un, I've, <laughs> he's an unfunny I've seen guy. him <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but Ian and i have covered this before and this is one of the things that makes evangelion great is ano is a funny guy he gets he gets humor. He he knows how to edit on the beat so that there's like setups and and punch lines. And he does use that in Shingo Jira. And I think that is probably the thing I love about it the most. So there you go. My opinion in general is like positive to mixed, but that's the thing about it I really like. Okay. Um and Ian, how uh how kaiju or Godzilla familiar are you? So by the comparison to the rest of you, I am a filthy casual. Um, I have seen the original Godzilla, the, the 54 I've seen, I just watched, uh, Godzilla raids again last night, the first direct sequel. Cause I wanted to have at mm. least some context for like what it means to make a, a, another Godzilla movie for the first time. Um, I've seen the 2014 American movie, which I, I can't give a critical opinion on because i was so stoned when i saw it that i was just like my 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 only thought is lizard big like that's just it's like about as far as it goes um and then i've I've seen shin uh shin godzilla twice now um and okay so I, i'm coming at it i think like from i'm less steeped in the the language of this genre and so i realized that this immediately colors the uh what I'm about to say about this movie, but I, I really like this movie. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I mean, it, it is good to have your voice in here as well with all us filthy nerds. Um, but uh, um, before we get into Shin Godzilla, I want to cover a few things, because you guys, I mean, I've been listening to you guys since you started, you know, your first episode and throughout the your podcast laying out the history of the mech genre and different things of anime and um, the, the influence of different mech stuff and anime on Eva, the, uh, the biblical references, stuff like that. Amazing job. However, 
there's something that is just as relevant to everything going on in EVA that you haven't really touched. And um, I uh, would like to uh, bring uh, some of that in. And I know it's probably just unfamiliarity, especially with one very relevant franchise. Um, But Evangelion very much is Ultraman flipped upside down. And, like, all the characters have horrible problems. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, like Joseph said, uh, Anno is a big fan of kaiju and tokusatsu, which, for your listeners, that's, you know, the um, practical effects-driven genre, you know, giant monsters, Ultraman, Godzilla, Kamen Rider, Power Rangers, or Super Sentai. That's all tokusatsu. And he is just as into that as he is all this other stuff. Um, when he was a teenager, he made his own Kamen Rider cosplay. I threw a picture of his goofy ass in that uh, <laughs> Google Doc. Um, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> he made two Ultraman fan films um, in college. Um, Return of Ultraman is the second one. It's, a, it's basically an episode of Ultraman. But it, even looking at that, you can see... I mean, it feels like Anno, even though it's a, a college film. But that was a Gainax production um, with Gainax. Um, him and Shinji Higuchi would help out on a, a kaiju movie, an independent movie called uh, Orochi Strikes Back. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you guys have seen, I don't know, have you guys seen the Daikon 3 and 4 um, short films? They're like opening cartoons that played in front of these conventions in japan but they're brilliantly animated they have like literally every sci-fi character you can think of fighting i mean everything from godzilla to star trek to alien you know uh gamera ultraman uh star wars i mean there's like darth vader is in there it so Big when we were when we were researching the the first episode of the Human Instrumentality podcast, I did find the Daikon short films. On, yeah, they're, on they're pretty neat. And yeah, they're great. I mean, I also saw his. Um, I didn't talk about this, but I saw Anno's uh, God Warrior. Yeah. Short movie. Yeah. From that a few, sort of yeah. like yep. ties in Shingojir to his like first cinema big cinema project, which was yeah. him doing the God Warrior attack sequence from um, Nausicaa. Yep. So, cool shit. Yeah, uh, but I mean, there's Ultraman, and there's... It, not to take any credit, because Anno is a true original, but he's very much... He's like Tarantino or Guillermo del Toro, where, like, he he really is like a pop culture, like, eater, and he spits it back out into something that is very much him. So, but, like, it, it is down to the point where you point out someone's costume in Eva... Or, you know, a certain creature design or whatever, and there's a very high chance it traces back to some property that he's a fan of. Um, like, uh, the the opening theme of Eva is almost, like, exactly the way it's cut everything for Jerry um, Anderson, the, the guy that made uh, Thunderbirds. The, the puppet show. Right, Anna Thunderbirds was a huge, it, the, He did a live-action show um, called UFO. If you look up the opening to UFO, it is the Eva opening, like wow. beat for beat. Um, the, the two of the main characters in UFO, their clothes are the same clothes that, uh, like, uh, Futsky wears 
like and and the other the the older senior guy in the show is always sitting with his his hands like on his chin you know so it's like yeah he's an original but he's also remixing a bunch of stuff um yeah with with ultraman um how familiar is this the ultras are godlike beings of light Mm. <laughs> um, where have are... i heard that before yeah <laughs> they are next thing the... you're gonna tell me they have like a little thing in their chest that it hurts yes if you they hit have it. a little thing in their chest just like uh adam and um they come from the planet m78 which was the the planet nadia is in in, in the nadia series um in the rebuild films masato's phone ringtone when her phone goes off that's the showa king Ghidorah roar um, that like loud screech. Um, the Studio Kara logo is the same sound that Ultraman makes when he transforms. Um, Ano actually, we talked about Gamma Three. He directed a documentary about Gamma Three. Um, I think it was, I think it was released on VHS, and it might have made it to the first DVD pressing. Um, but uh, Shusuke Kaneko really didn't appreciate that documentary because he felt like. I mean, Gamera 3 was a contentious shoot with, you know, Higuchi as the effects director, Kaneko doing the live action, and <clears throat> I guess Kaneko felt that Ano's documentary had kind of needlessly dramatized some of the friction going on between the two departments. Um, and so it's kind of just disappeared into obscurity. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it, Ano uh, apologized profusely at the uh, Gamera 3 premiere. Um, so you're you're telling me that Hideki Anno is a messy bitch who loves drama? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about like loving Evangelion would have hinted that to me in the slightest. Yeah, that was his Asuka. I mean, I, I think every character in Eva is a little bit of him, but right. that yes, that was his inner Asuka. Um and yeah, you, you brought up in 2012, um, he produced the short film The Giant God Warrior Attacks Tokyo, directed by Higuchi, um, and that was, that was made for a tokusatsu exhibit at the Ghibli Museum, um, and they had props from everything from the 50s all the way through the 2000s, Godzilla, Gamera, Ultraman, uh, any... Japanese kaiju superhero sci-fi show or movie you can think of it was there I um I bought like a really big souvenir book from about that exhibit and it shows like everything they had on display and it's like it's incredible um but yeah Giant God Warrior is a sort of prequel to Nausicaa but it was done with all practical effects you know big God Warrior puppets um and a lot of the aesthetic stuff that uh you'll see in shin godzilla um uh matt do you want to um run down some of the design influence um that uh ano took from you know different kaiju things mostly ultraman but yeah (laughs) so let's start with some of the angels from uh from evangelion so yeah prisma from the return of ultraman and then super x from future police and those actually kind of merged to become uh, Ramiel and Ava, yeah. which is like the really diamond cube-looking thing. That episode yeah, of Return it, of Ultraman is awesome, by the way. Yeah, the prison episode's great. Um, yeah, um, Joseph, I loved your theory that it's making fun of Space Godzilla, so I'm sorry to sink your battleship on that one, but... <laughs> sorry to pierce Look. your armor with a giant drill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah. It's okay. I can scream and then reform my body at random. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, you guys have, have assembled a little visual feast. It's almost like a shame that we're doing this in audio and not video format because like the, these side-to-side photos that you've assembled of the Ultraman kaiju and the, and the angels really yeah. are striking to me. This like, is, this blew um, my mind. Yeah, this is a shout-out to um, our buddy Kevin. Um, this is uh, slides that he did for um, a presentation he did at a convention. And, yeah, I mean, what better way to kind of really illustrate the design influence, right? Um, yeah, Matt, you got some of the angels and some of the ultra monsters. Yeah, was it Israfel and, and Pestar? Um, Dada, and I, I don't know what that other that angel it's is on the... Liliel. Yeah, so like the, the, and the then uh, beat for beat the same. And then that's Gabadon, and one of the th- is that the first rebuild? Where did that goofy looking <laughs> thing show that up? Question, is that like, the, the is, magma? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. Sandalfon. You never mm-hmm. get a good look at Sandalfon in the show, probably because it does have googly eyes, but it hey. looks super silly the way that you guys have it here. <laughs> <laughs> But that that episode again, uh, the Gabadon episode is is incredible. Highly recommended. Um, Satchio is taking beats from uh, Jamila, which again, like a, a lot of the stuff that that Ano likes, is top tier peak Ultraman. Yeah, these are all references to like the best Ultraman episodes. <laughs> what do you have? Uh, Sashmel and uh, Vera, and then Zerul and Zeton. Yeah. Like, and, and when you see Vera them, is from Ultra Seven. Yeah, and you see them side by side, like it's unmistakably just taking design influence and, and, and reimagining in a way that's pretty pretty unique. And then you have like the opening stuff, right? The the opening credits in Ava yep, That's where those silhouettes Superman. yeah. Which is like Eva like made that such a norm in anime. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's an Ultraman reference. Mm-hmm. And of course uh Evangelion wouldn't be Evangelion without crucifying something, which, you know, Ultraman loved to crucify. It felt like every other episode in some of these they were they were putting Ultraman on a cross somewhere. This is great proof that I know that like Joseph and I go off on this all the time, but like the idea that, oh, they were just choosing Christian imagery to be weird. If if this stuff was like appearing all over in Ultraman, then like everyone that yeah. would have been watching Ava would have like known about this kind of stuff. Like it's not just to be like foreign and crazy, you know? This yeah. Is- oh, Matt, Matt, you skipped the we have the 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 car. It's the same as the M.A.T. car from Return yeah. of Ultraman. The and, um, same with the nerve, yeah, the nerve base and the science patrol base. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, Anno did some homework when it came to the biblical stuff, but I mean, he could have just been inspired by Ultraman to be like, "What does what is what? Like, what does all this mean?" <laughs> right, like go deeper and take it like one level further by getting into the Kabbalah and shit like that instead. Yeah. Of course, we have uh, Jet Alone. Which infamously was originally Red Alone, which became Jet Jaguar and Godzilla versus Megalon. Um, Red Alone was a brief aside for the the human instrumentality listeners. So Jet Jaguar, just look him up. You might have seen him. He's a goofball. He's in Godzilla versus Megalon. He's like a giant robot. But that character came about from a a listener, uh, a listener, (laughs) Um, a contest that Toho had. Um, for kids to make an Ultraman or, or uh, a character um, to be in the next Godzilla movie, and the winner was Red Alone, which um, you can Google it. But I know um, we all have the picture in front of us. This kid's idea for Red Alone was like 
like a white, red, and yellow sort of bird-like robot-y thing. And then Toho turned it into Jet Jaguar, and they, like, announced this in public, and apparently the kid was just like, what did you do? Like, this isn't the thing I sent you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, but yes, Jet Alone, I mean, uh, Jet Alone is a homage to Jet Jaguar, which, um, uh, hey, worst Evangelion episode, one of the worst Godzilla movies, you know, they can be bad fellows. (laughs) I, I, I must pause here for one moment to say... I I did cry at the end of Godzilla's singular point because Isn't I'm a big softy. I know. I mean, a total tangent here, but singular point is fi- it's everything that anime trilogy they did wasn't, and a total redemption for one of the goofiest God's J- Jaguar. You know, one of the goofiest characters. I mean, what a way to reinvent a joke character. Did did send that text to the band chat? Be like, I can't believe I'm getting weepy over Jet fucking jaguar um, <laughs> yes that is so, so what you're saying is that even bill the the fourth rebuild movie is going to end with jet alone saving the day <laughs> at this point amazing. i believe it <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, um carry on let's carry on yeah I, I gotta say this is all from you have a youtube video of this yeah it's um our friend did a, a panel um for like an anime convention and he put it on youtube and these are these are his slides that he showed i mean a lot of the stuff i mean this is like a third of that panel i mean i i just kept it to the kaiju relevant stuff but um you know he brings up stuff like there's an anime called Edeon. i haven't seen oh, yeah. it but apparently runaway god Edeon it's dead yeah apparently there's a ton of that i mean so the whole thing is the the whole panel is basically um pop culture references and evangelion and I just pulled the the kaiju relevant stuff out of that, but there's a whole bunch of crap in there. I'm gonna um, send I'll, me that link, and I'll, I'll put yeah, it I'll in the show you, notes for this episode. Yeah, I'll send you a link. Um, but uh, yeah, Matt, tell us about giant eyeballs. <laughs> a giant, <laughs> giant robot, robo. Tell me where you've seen this before. A giant eye falling out of the sky. I don't even know how to say that angel's name, by the way. Sa- Sahakwil. What what is this? Sahakwil. I think is what we settled on on, on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, you have Neo Atlantis from Nadia. I mean, it, it's, uh, again, Anu's ability to basically reimagine this stuff from other references is pretty amazing. Um, it's very, it's, it, he really does do what Tarantino does, and what Tarantino does amazingly, which is... Yeah, it's, 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 it's just very well thought out. Of course, you have the giant lights, which we talked, or the giants of light, which we already talked about, with the, the thingies in their chest. Um, and then, this is probably one of the... <laughs> the creepiest uh, pictures that we have, which is Ultraman without a face. So you see the, the face plate come off and what's underneath, which, uh, again, Ultraman and the Avas basically have this uh, ex- this weird cybernetic exoskeleton with a brain underneath. Um, I've never seen this picture before, and it's just creeping me, creeping me out. <laughs> uh, you also up, know, like, yeah. the, the Avas have this, like, hunched over fighting stance, which is exactly what the original Ultraman has. Um, and then, of course, you have the timer, right? So the Avis have a timer. Ultraman has a timer. Why don't uh, Why don't women like Ultraman? He only lasts, he lasts three, minutes. three minutes. <laughs> well, I guess I should say why don't. Well, I don't know. There's like not a way to tell that joke that appeals to like non binaries and. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I think I think Hidekiana would find it funny. He probably would. Yeah, he he would. (laughs) 
fucking Why don't you take the last little slide here? <laughs> so, uh, Rebuild of Ava, this one's insane. Um, so, there's a little pentagram in the floor that Gendo and, and, and all those folks have. And, you know, there's that, that shot of, like, the four atoms. Um, that little pentagram shape in the floor in the corner there's a symbol and each one of those four symbols is the symbol for the first four Ultramen. so zafi the original ultraman uh ultraman jack and ultra seven not only that but they're written in the fake language of the ultras so that's how much of a nerd <laughs> hideki Anno is for this stuff oh and then um yeah, there's the episode of Ultraman Ace where the guy, a guy comes back from another planet and he's possessed by an alien that's taken form of a little one-eyed face um, in his hand. And, of course, Evangelion, oh, yeah. you have... Uh, wow. Yeah, that's yep. blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in Japan, they also had a Godzilla vs. Um, Evangelion ride, a Shin Godzilla vs. Evangelion ride, theme park ride. And Anno also wrote and produced the upcoming Shin Ultraman movie that Higuchi directed, and um, he also uh, wrote uh, Shin Kamen Rider that he will be directing, and they're about to start uh, filming that now. So it's cool he's getting a chance to, you know, work in all these properties that that he loves. And then um, we also should mention a guy named Kohachi Okamoto, who's a little more relevant to this than... Evangelion, but there is some Eva-relevant stuff. Um, he is Ano's favorite director of all time. Um, he made a lot of war films, um, and a lot of samurai movies. If you've seen stuff like Sword of Doom, that's him. Um, his Sword movie of Doom Battle Fucks. Sword of Doom is great. Um, his movie Battle of Okinawa is Ano's favorite film. Um, he's watched it over a hundred times. Um, it's a harrowing war movie <laughs> um that's like two and a half hours so if you want to know the kind of thing anno watches for pleasure there you go um in fact the jsdf raid on nerve in the end of evangelion is uh modeled after the end of that film where americans storm um japanese soldiers in caves in okinawa and use flamethrowers um, his movie japan's longest day is probably the closest thing to a template that shin godzilla has and that's a lot of uh, the bureaucracy and rewriting of um, public-facing messages um, and the insurrection all about Japan's days uh, surrendering uh, in World War II, um, it, which that movie hits very differently after January 6th because it is legitimately, like, people breaking in and, like, you know, trying to kill the emperor, literally murdering, you know government officials it's crazy um but a lot of anno's cutting style and stuff is is a lot like okamoto there's a scene in battle in battle of okinawa where um the japanese are handing out grenades to okinawan civilians who are have basically been brainwashed into committing suicide for the imperial um imperial military and it's all set to this like light bubbly like pop song um and and uh okamoto also made a movie called blood type blue um also known as blue christmas it's a sci-fi movie um what does that but what does that screen 
come up with every time there's an Ava and what what's their blood type? Yeah, it's blood type yeah. blue, you know. Blue. <laughs> yeah. There you um, go. In fact, um, leading into Shin Godzilla, um, Okamoto, there's there's the character of Goro Maki who's dead at the be- by the beginning of the movie, but he's represented in Shin Godzilla by a photo of of that director. So wow, a lot. Yeah, a lot of and a lot of stuff. And Goro Maki is also the name of two characters in two different Godzilla movies. Son of Godzilla and Godzilla 1984 have Goro Maki. So I don't know right. what's up with uh, that franchise and that and that name. Um, you, you missed one here, Kyle. I I appreciate your notes, but if we scroll down, this is definitely like Ava adjacent. Um, apparently, Kihachi Okamoto directed Big Boss. Ah. which is a, a good mobster movie if i'm yeah. thinking of the right movie but is also what the um character in metal gear solid was named after oh ah, okay yeah no uh, okamoto's uh, he's, he's made some boss. good stuff yes yeah. right it's all it's all coming together okay so <laughs> so these guys are so these guys are fucking nerds yes <laughs> <laughs> I think we've established that pretty pretty well at this point. Yeah. But tell me, uh, the 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 stuff we're all the stuff that we haven't gotten into isn't just the pop culture stuff, right? It's, oh yeah, it's the real life I- events that informed Shin Shin Gojira, and in a lot of the same way that like, you know, I've talked about how environmentalism. Uh, affected the production of Evangelion about um, the Om Shinrikyo gas attack that yeah. necessitated the change in the plot. So I know you guys know some know some stuff about the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Please tell us. Ah, uh, okay. Um, well, there's two things that Shin Godzilla really is addressing. The first is that, um, which unlike the '54 movie. It's not really using that. That's the Fukushima incident is more or less what's jump starting the rest of the movie. Which, you know, after the first act, most of the Fukushima stuff, aside from some visual cues, is dropped, and then it gets into this whole thing about Japan's independence and all that. Um, hopefully, people listening know about Fukushima because it was a big deal. That's March eleventh, two thousand eleven, three eleven, as it's called. Um, the worst nuclear disaster in history. Worse than Chernobyl. Um, what had happened was uh, Tohoku, there was an earthquake. And this is like the Cliff Notes version. There's millions of documentaries, articles, stuff people can, can check out that I would recommend. Um, uh, and that earthquake was so bad, it, it caused a tsunami. The tsunami hit the Fukushima prefecture. It disabled the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Um, And this is where it's going to tie into the first act of Shin Godzilla very much, because that first act is all, like Joseph said, dark comedy about how response time to a crisis can be mishandled. Um, But the earthquake uh, was at 2.46 p.m. The tsunami hit about an hour later. A state of emergency wasn't declared until 8.15 p.m., and an evacuation doesn't occur until 9 p.m. Now, the reason for um, the poor response is chalked up to poor crisis management, um, too much red tape, 
um, a lot of scrambling to make decisions to to stem the radiation leaks and things getting worse by the second. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and it turned out, of course, um, and this is where, I don't know, maybe the movie's uh, targets um, are a little misguided because it turns out the, the company, TEPCO, which is a giant corporation, they're the parent company of the plant, in 2009, they were briefed by government scientists that that plant m- would not be able to sustain a tsunami. And they were like, look, you better get this together you know if, if if there's a tsunami this is this plant is gonna have problems it's gonna like it could lead to meltdown um and of course they said they were still reviewing it in 2011 um but tepco uh they they didn't know even they didn't even know how to vent a plant without electricity because you know the tsunami knocks the power out so this meant they couldn't properly vent the plant which caused nuclear meltdown um, and for months, they tried their best to cover up their incompetence that led to that meltdown, blaming anyone but themselves. Um, but Shin Godzilla uses a lot of cues from that tsunami, uh, especially the first Godzilla attack when he's a little, like, armless fish turkey thing. Um, if you actually look at, you know, real footage or images from that tsunami, like, it's it's essentially the same as how blatant, you know, Godzilla's attack in the 54 film is a visual reference to the Tokyo firebombings. Um, right. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of used as a jumping off point for the rest of the movie, which pushes into the bigger conversation of a, basically a stronger Japan. Um, and that, that is a huge thing over there, you know. <laughs> uh, Matt, do you want to get into Article 9? Yeah. Um, I just want to point out too, like Tepco actually apologized um, after the fact, years later, and used the word "cover up" in their apology. So they they admitted. Yeah. I mean, like that that was their <laughs> public apology, and and all this stuff is really, as Bird said, like very well documented. You can go out and see that the government officials knew what was going on. Tepco knew what was going on. Um, that's one of the things that Shin Godzilla really doesn't address it it addresses the the lack of government response in timely fashion but doesn't say anything about the cover-up aspect which is something i find pretty interesting yeah i mean corporate big business is really at the root of it you know so (laughs) you know it's it's yeah it's 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 capitalism failing the people (laughs) again (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is a really interesting, not to just to jump in, because I one of the things that I noticed the second time watching Shin Godzilla was how much the theme of like, how the government should be accountable for its actions was like a thing that got hammered home yeah. by like, at least in talking, at least in the dialogue of the characters. But, but the fact that Shin Godzilla does not bring a, any, any corporations, any private companies pretty much at all there's like one mention of a private lab near the end of the movie but like this idea of accountability and the idea of like holding the people responsible for fucking up a disaster accountable and then not bringing in like the corporations that are responsible is like that is an interesting omission in the adaptation of this uh of this event to this movie but yeah, please carry on article nine sorry to keep interrupting movie that, uh, that i'll talk about but yeah that's that's very much tied to to something i really dislike about shin godzilla that the government is presented as both the problem but also somehow the solution in the movie well, which I- yeah and i don't know maybe we're getting a little ahead of our i mean but it, it is true 
it has a very like I don't know. I'm going to use some I guess triggering language, <laughs> but I I, I think I kind of have to to make it relatable to people. Um, Shin Godzilla is very much a let's drain the swamp movie. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And the the old prime minister is very much a cipher for the prime minister that was in charge during Fukushima. He gets killed, and he's replaced with another guy who's pretty aloof and dumb, you know, worrying about his soggy noodles. And <laughs> and and it's it's giving us saying, hey, the solution is get in all these guys from outside the system. To upset the trend, you know, uh, you know, the movie is very much saying like, "Hey, intellectuals, nerds, come, come join the government," and you know that, and and if pe- and people trust trust us to do everything, everything will be okay. Um, I have my own ideas as to why I don't necessarily know that that <laughs> works in real life. I have some real life examples to parallel, um, but yeah, it's very much a let's drain the swamp and like, Hey, young, 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 uh, how do you do fellow kids in the audience? Come, come and join, uh, the Japanese government and, uh, we can make it Japan better. Um, I stopped very short at saying a catchphrase that would have triggered people <laughs> even more. Um, but I, I can probably, I can, I can, we're going to, we're going to get back to that. Trust me. His, right. Well, the, here's the issue. It's like his, it's, <laughs> Let me just backtrack to something you said, and this is going to like loop Ava back into it, right? In effect, he's saying government's the problem. The solution is we should just make the government into nerd. Yeah, like, that's exactly, you're yeah. right. That's exactly right. That's the other way to interpret this movie is like, oh, this asshole's young Gendo Ikari. This is how you start nerd is like ooh, big <laughs> monster kill lots of people how to fix government doesn't work and one smarmy fuck boy says hey you know what we could do uh get a lot of underpaid smart people in a room together have them commit atrocities and uh just treat them like shit but tell them that they're important <laughs> and coincidentally that's also exactly how big tech works so there you go. <laughs> and and I mean uh and I I mean hopefully this isn't too jarring for your listeners. I mean our listeners are used to us ranting about Shin Godzilla. They've they've made it known that it's something we we've done. Um but I mean you guys have and I mean you guys have done a very good job at least in in um relation to Evangelion of pointing out times where it's like hey this is like weirdly like getting into weird right wing you know, conservative stuff. And uh, and that is a trend that runs in both these guys, Higuchi and Anno. It runs in their work. I mean, Higuchi made a whole movie called Lorelei, all about how Japan stops a third atomic bomb, um, which, I mean, it's fictionalized, <laughs> of course. Um, the, the backstory in Gunbuster is a little queasy, um yeah i didn't you know, i didn't touch on that because i I'd, I'd seen gunbuster so long ago that i'd sort of forgotten but now yeah, that mention it, it that's that's true he also and, did um the attack on titan movies yeah higuchi did attack yeah, on titan which yeah. uh, that comes with its own baggage um higuchi remade a japanese disaster movie called 
um, Submersion of Japan, which the 70s version is, is great, and it's all about if Japan were to sink, how would the rest of the world react? You know, how would they help? And, you know, it doesn't treat every country that well, but the, the general message at the end is that humanity will prevail and take in refugees and stuff. Higuchi remade that movie in 2006, only at the end, Japan saves itself from sinking. So Japan doesn't even sink at the end. (laughs) So, yeah, so, you know, this movie falls in line with some of that stuff is, uh, you know, Japan can take care of itself with enough know-how and enough autonomy and and stuff like that and and that is where we do wade into article nine which shin godzilla has some very pointed critique and i'm not japanese i'm not here to say whether they should revise article nine or not um joseph like you i'm i'm pretty far to the left um you know i have my own kind of uh, thoughts but i don't i i'm not japanese it's not my place to say However, I don't know if a Godzilla movie, <laughs> you know, which which is this franchise with, you know, this history of, you know, Ishiro Honda and Eiji Tsuburaya being, and even Kaneko with GMK being, you know, very pacifist. It, it really is a, turning a lot of those conventions on its head. And, of course, that's where we, we Article 9 is the next, there's a lot of them, it's the next elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. Yeah, so after World War II, uh, there's an article in Japan's constitution that's actually written by the United States, and it says that Japan must forever renounce war as the right of their nation. And they can only maintain a self-defense force, so they can't have an active military or any military presen- presence that would actually exceed the minimum needed for self-defense. There's been a huge debate in Japan, um, and there are many people that are left-leaning that are actually even in favor of the article they believe that has kept japan at peace for decades and actually uh and ando's mentor um miyazaki is is an example of someone who is pro the article miyazaki was uh he was marching in the protests like saying do not do not change article nine i I had no idea yep yeah, the other side to the debate is, of course, the the right the right wing arguing that Japan needs to remilitarize and take up arms, and they basically need to regain their pride and independence. And there was an Article Nine revision um, that's basically been a massive platform platform for the right wing liberal Democratic Party, and that was extensively backed by Shinzo Abe, who was the acting prime minister at the time of Shin Godzilla, and he stated that the film reflected his policies and beliefs. So here you have the acting prime minister of Japan stating that Shin Godzilla as a movie reflects what he believes, and he's trying to push... He's a terrible person, by the way. He is not not. for uh, women's rights, gay rights. He's he's a bad man. (laughs) It gets gets worse. Uh, So so Abe's cabinet basically consists consists of 80% members of the Nippon Kagi, which is basically this right-wing political faction in Japan that's probably comparable mostly to, like, the Tea Party. but they're also ardent, like, in-your-face World War II revisionists. They deny atrocities. Um, they actually push for textbook revisions, denial of, of the Korean comfort woman being an example that they just, you know, wasn't that way. Yep. Nanking um, Massacre never happened. I mean, that they that is 80, 80% of the acting government <laughs> at the time this movie was made. And unfortunately, the guy that replaced Abe, you might even be able to say he's even worse. Um 
But yeah, oh, also the composer of Godzilla vs. Bayelante yeah. is a member of the Nippon Kaigi. He's a real shitbag. That's the guy that just opened up the Olympic Games to bring it. He did, the- yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, his music not- opened the Olympic Games and it caused a big controversy over there because they're like, you have this horrible right-wing atrocity denier who is literally trying to <laughs> omit information from textbooks opening the Olympic Games. It's probably not oh. a good idea and they did it anyway. I mean- there's precedent for that kind of shit at the Olympics, if we're being real. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's the least of it. But I mean, like, it's just, there, there's a history of that. And um, the other thing to, I, I think we cover this next section in notes, Bird, but the other thing that I think is worth talking about is, for the first time that we are aware of, Godzilla was used on a poster for Japanese military recruitment. So you're talking about a monster hmm. franchise that essentially starts as being anti-war not just anti-nuke, but anti-war. And now it's being used to basically bring people into the Japanese military. Yes. Um, and Anno has... Oh, that's another thing. I don't think you guys touched on it, but the the, the main characters in Evangelion, you know, um, Asuka, um, Ray, right. their last names are all... Na- they're all named after Imperial Japanese battleships. I did not know that. Yeah, Actually. so like um I Ayanami, oh. that that's a, a an Imperial World War II battleship, for example. I knew that we e- did bring we brought up the Ayanami uh thing, but we specifically did that because of the way that Ray Ayanami is sort of literally a weapon of war mm-hmm. within the show. But, and so there um, is like sort of a textual justification. Um, um Asuka's but, Asuka's Japanese name, what is it? Uh that that's uh, one too. Yeah, that that's a battleship also. Mm-hmm. Um I knew that Ikari means anchor. Uh, so yeah, well it's... now that now that I've been Hideki on a black pilled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I look I I'm not a big fan of this movie, but I mean Anno is a he's a creator I really admire, so I mean it, it, it is with no pleasure that I don't enjoy this film. Um, but yeah, Ano. I mean, he's even said, you know, he feels like Japan is kind of infantilized, infantilized on a, on a global scale. Again, I'm not Japanese, so I understand the concern when you know North Korea is shooting nukes right five feet from you. I understand that. I'm not pretending I know the answer, but I also don't know that their solution in this movie would work. And I also don't know that the Godzilla franchise is the best place for it. Yeah, there's there's something there's a whole conversation to be had about the relationship that the United States has with Japan. And frankly, our foreign policy as a whole in the U.S. is not not something I love. Yeah, Uh, well, I'll say, I mean, one thing I agree with the movie is uh, their portrayal of America is pretty, uh, pretty accurate. We we saw. Yeah, and that's like (laughs) there's a whole conversation to be had there. But I don't think that's what Shin Godzilla is really going after. Like, I don't think it's actually going after just getting under the finger of the u.s i think it's saying japan it can become a stronger nation as a whole and the implications of that like especially we have this little picture and a snippet from the um yaguchi's speech right before they go out to fight godzilla (laughs) where his line says our country's greatest strength is found on the field of battle and like you think about that in the context of a country that like they're not supposed to have a military and you're like i'm not sure if i love what the implications are from this Um, it's fascinating. Last night I watched the, or two nights ago I watched the dub version, and that line is instead translated as like, uh, "Japan's greatest strength is in its people," 
um, which is a much more <laughs> innocuous and like general statement that like, better... any country could make. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better a better choice. Um, also, uh, more okay. more true to the themes of the of the story. Like at least that yeah, that I've... that translation seems like it's it's like reflecting the narrative as told, whereas. Yeah, it's the, the Japanese military loses in every Godzilla movie. <laughs> That's kind of like the well, point. Except in Godzilla Raids again. This is why I watched this movie. It's like that that movie is a like love letter to the Japanese military because right. in the first yeah, Godzilla it's a scientific <laughs> problem. And in in the second movie it's like, well, if we just shoot a bunch of missiles at some rockets, uh, at some at some <laughs> mountains, um rather the mountains will fall on Godzilla and we win. And it's like, literally this revelation is brought about by someone crashing a plane into one of the mountains, like killing themselves, <laughs> like right. honorably. Kamikaze, you know? yeah, yeah. Exactly. So this is, I, I would like to sort of push against the, the concept that this is the only time that oh, no, it's, conservative. It's, it's, yeah, oh, absolutely. Not. I mean, especially once you get into the 90s stuff, that starts to rear its head a little more. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah is like. Yeah, th- I think that movie is in a sense even more conservative than this one, or at least yeah, more I, I, it, more saber rattling. Yeah, it, and the the portrayal of the Imperial Army in that movie is uh, problematic. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so yeah, no, absolutely. This is by this is by by far not the only Godzilla movie to do this, but it's it's the most overt, I think. Um, sure. And uh yeah, and I think part of it, and I guess I don't know, I guess this kind of leads into, you know, the development of the movie. Um Hideki Anno turned this down a few times, you know, um it was it was really Shinji Higuchi who, I mean, you guys have even said it. He's like Anno's right hand. <laughs> and a lot of things um but yeah after after the 2014 um movie he he was you know toho were like oh that people liked that and they didn't fuck it up super bad this time like we wanted to make a japanese movie and higuchi was really kind of spearheading that and he went to anno a few times and anno said no um but he ended up kind of doing it as a favor to higuchi um and uh i'm not saying that's a bad thing i mean good movies get made you know when people you know refuse at first but um you know he was in a creative rut with eva 4 i mean i remember seeing higuchi at g fest in 2011 i think and he was talking in that back then about how they're working on eva 4 it's 10 years later um so yeah, I, I think, and I don't know, I, I, I might have to kind of explain what I mean. I think Anno's approach was very much kind of like Emmerich in the 1998 movie in that he he didn't want to make a Godzilla movie, really, so he kind of made something else, and he chose something that was near and dear to him, you know, as far as things he wanted to say, and he said it with a Godzilla movie. Um of course, that's not to downplay Higuchi's involvement. Higuchi co-directed, and from uh, from what I understand, you know, Ano's role was very much like it is in his animation, where he's the chief director, and then there's like a director director, 
So he kind of oversaw a lot of things while Higuchi did a lot of the hands-on directing. Higuchi also directed the effects. Um, but it, it, it spent more time in pre-production than any other Godzilla movie. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, it, but because of their contract with Legendary, they, can't, they weren't able to have movies in a certain stage of production at the same time. So King of the Monsters was stalled. When that started moving again... The then Shin Godzilla's shooting schedule and budget gets slashed, um, and that made a very contentious uh, and stressful shoot. Um, uh, Godzilla was going to be originally done with a, a hybrid of a puppet and CG, but Anna wasn't happy with how the puppet looked in comparison to the CG, so the puppet was scratched. So Godzilla's all CG except for that shot of his tail at the end. Um, and uh, Higuchi and Anno actually always wanted Godzilla to transform through the course of the movie. Um, and at first Toho refused, but then Bandai, the toy company, actually said, the more Godzilla forms you have, the more toys you can sell. And, you know, they were like, okay. But um, they originally wanted Funny Godzilla talks. to... Yeah, right, I know. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I mean, even here in the U.S., like, it's crazy how much influence toy companies have over, like, these yeah. big movies. Yeah, this is why Iron Man has, like, a different suit in every movie, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they wanted Godzilla to start the movie looking more like the Godzilla we know and love, and then over the course of the movie, he would mutate and grow different heads and grow limbs and stuff and they they were like no 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 why don't we start him off looking weird and then he gradually turns into the godzilla that we know um so i i love this idea because it seems like he was like let's just do end of ava but with godzilla like let's just go like straight to body horror as fast as possible like I respect the insane gumption of it, but I, I think the studio <laughs> notes actually make the movie better. Like I prefer the idea of starting with like a defamiliarized Godzilla and gradually getting to the more like classic quote unquote Godzilla by the middle of the film. Um, because the, co- the idea of like, Oh yeah, here's like Godzilla with another Godzilla growing out of him halfway through. He's just yeah, like, I don't know, bro. <laughs> yeah, he's got like another Godzilla growing out of his back. One head's looking one way, the other's looking another way. He's got, you know, uh, arms and it, growing different arms and stuff. And then, um, if, yeah, there's some weird... I, I don't know how m- much they would have used, but there's all kinds of art with... a. Uh, the little people that are like growing out of his tail at the end, those are straight up like Evangelion mm-hmm. things. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, very the, much uh, like the, in Rebuild 3, the sort of like tower of human bodies leading yeah, up to the giant yep. ray head. It's like, it's yeah. very, very similar vibes. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff going on here. Um, I guess yeah, I, that's the, uh, why I always thought they were going to do a sequel. Right. Cause right, it seems yeah. like such an overt gesture that, that there will be more. Although part of me wonders like, what would, would it even be a Godzilla film? You know, yeah, if, if you had just I, a bunch I, of like little humanoid skittering things going around, murking right. people. <laughs> and I mean, there's a, a whole lot of concept art. I didn't I, like at one point it, they were like more feminine and they had like breasts and stuff. It had a lot of that end of Eva Ray um, 
Um, but yeah, some of this concept art is absolutely wild. Um, but yeah, let's, I mean, I mean, that was a, a lot of info dump, but yeah, let's talk about Shin Godzilla. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I did rewatch it. This probably makes my maybe fifth attempt to like it. <laughs> There's things I like about it, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, um, but yeah, I know Ian said it, he's watched it twice. Um, Joseph, I know you just watched it again. Um, how how many I times? Did. How many times are you at? You know, I don't have a count. Um, so I saw it in theaters, which was nice. And I will say that is true about this. Other than GMK, because I saw it at G Fest, I've never had the chance to see it. Uh, Japanese Godzilla film in theaters before. Did you miss uh, 2000? No, you're right. I'm sorry. You're correct. I did see 2000. Yeah. I just tried to wipe that from my memory. <laughs> I like um, I like 2000. Come on. But no, you're, you're I, I right. Don't. I mean, that's um, always a cool experience. I mean, seeing a Japanese Godzilla movie in theaters, especially for the first time. I mean, it's it was cool. It was it was interesting to. I went with my partner who like Emily has been sort of like a strange background character in the, in the narrative of this podcast also. <laughs> um, Cause I, I can always count on her for a cold, hard do- dose of reality, but I knew she wasn't going to love it, but you know, we went to see this movie together. And by the way, we saw, we've seen Godzilla versus Kong and, and King of the monsters mm-hmm. together too. And, and some of those got better reactions than Shin Gojira. And, <laughs> You know, we walked out of here. I was like, oh, how about that? What do you think? And she said to me, she's like, who were those people? And why was it a board meeting for 45 minutes? <laughs> um, and that's real. <laughs> you know, that is a real thing with this yeah. with this movie. I, I, it's a powerful choice. And what I respect about it is it really draws the line between people who are going to be into it and people who are not. Like, and I think if you're going to make art, you got to make like powerful choices. And so like, I will even admit that this movie sort of loses me in the second half somewhat. I think the first hour is like not perfect because I don't want to use a word that um, outrageous to describe a movie, but I love the first hour of, of Shin Godzilla. And then in the second half, when it starts getting like. This is actually like some of my same problems with like Rebuild 2 is like once it starts branching out into more and more of the geopolitics, I'm like, do you really have a tight grip on this? Like, do you actually have the range to talk about like the like Franco-Japanese relationships in like trade agreements? Like, I don't know if you have like the space in this movie to actually do that theme justice, you know? I mean, I, th- I think it, here's the tough. First of all, Ian, make it's a powerful choice. It's such a withering critique. I, I like. I really appreciate that that withering critique. Um, from my perspective, the thing that makes Ava good, and, and I, I I didn't like realize this all the way until I've done this big rewatch and deep dive with Ian, but the thing that makes Ava spectacular are the characters. It's it's just top, like some of the best character work I've ever seen in, in, in anything, really. 
Um, and even though Shin Godzilla almost beat for beat and sound effect for sound effect is basically one big episode of Evangelion, the character work isn't there. And and so like even if it even if the, the Franco Japanese politics or whatever that, that Ian's talking about weren't on point, I think if I loved the characters and they were like like people that felt like well observed and real and supremely executed to me in the way that like Misato and Shinji are, I think I'd forgive it. You know? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so right there with what both of you just said. I mean, to Ian's point, for me, Every time I watch this movie, during the first half, I'm always like, this is really good. Am I going to like it more this time? And then after the jaw-droppingly great scene where he nukes Tokyo, he falls asleep. And then I'm very tempted to fall asleep with him. Uh, It's like, (laughs) the the movie just, after that, for me, there's no tension, there's no suspense. Every problem that they come up with is just immediately they have a solution. At one point, they're like, we need 24 more hours or else this, this, everything horrible is going to happen. And then the movie just like gives it to them. They're like, oh, I'll call the French. I'll make sure we get a 24 more hours. It's like... This is this is my like biggest problem with that, is that they revealed that that happened. Like, they set it up. They say, like, okay, we're going to call the French and see if we're going to make it work. But they don't reveal that they actually got that extra 24 hours until after they complete the mission to kill Godzilla. Yeah, it's like, oh, right. good like, we got that extra 24 hours. And so, yeah, after after that part, after that night scene where Godzilla, you know, basically, like, Man of Steel's all of Tokyo, um, <laughs> like... Yeah, it's, it, it every every problem has an almost immediate solution, and so I'm right there with you, Ian, on that. And then with Joseph about the characters, I mean, to me, I haven't seen everything Anno's done, but you know, I've you know, I know Eva, I know Gunbuster, and it's like with that limited knowledge of of his work, I'm like, oh, this guy knows character building, and so yeah, when I see this, and it's like. Everybody, all they care about is where they're, how they're going to climb the ladder, and, you know, we we don't see any real emotion, except for, like, there's a part where Yaguchi makes, like, a silent prayer, and then there's another part where he, like, freaks out at everybody for no reason. But other than that, it's like, so many people are dead, guys. I mean, are you going to talk about the loss of life like the human sacrifice and like i mean we literally follow up godzilla decimating an entire city with these guys sitting around a table talking about their next move as a politician and it's like that rubs me so wrong and these characters are so i mean maybe this is just anno and you know he needs to be psychoanalyzing himself to deliver on the characters, but like this Godzilla movie has it, it's the God, it has less humanity than any other Godzilla movie. I mean, these people just talk about what they want to do. The only thing that they talk about with any kind of remorse are like, um, oh, the stocks plummeted. It's like, which again, after 2020, that hits very, <laughs> very differently. 
uh, you know, oh, so much property damage. Watching this movie in general <clears throat> after COVID is like a very distinct mood, like seeing the way like the supply chains and like them putting together the plan to get all of the coolants. It's like my friend pointed this out on my friend, Henry, who I think I've shattered out multiple times on the human instrumentality <laughs> podcast um, mentioned on his letterbox review. Like it feels like watching the vaccine race to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, you're right. Like none of these characters, you never get any interior life for any of these people whatsoever. And it's so consistently like that, that I feel like it has to be a choice, but I'm not going to say that that yeah. means that you should like that choice. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is a, a cold and dry movie like through and through. Yeah. <clears throat> there is one. I, I want to push against that a little bit because it does begin to do sort of like the classic Anno Evangelion thing philosophically too, where, you know, the strength of Evangelion is, is when it's politics and even it's religiosity fall away. And it focuses really intimately on like a psychological choice. Right. And a, like Hamlet, like Evangelion, which is like, maybe this is Anno playing the hits, but there, the movie does for a while start to be building up this head of head of steam with the prime minister where he's like, not a decisive man. And the, the, the chorus refrain is we need a decision. Mm -hmm. Evangelion 4.0. We need a decision. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and, and he either doesn't make a decision or he makes a, a, a bad one. Right. Like, like I think the film is it's two strongest and they're both Godzilla related moments, which is why the first movie is great. Is it leads it's first like half hour is like, Oh, it's goofy. Oh, it's like the original, but it's not, Oh, this monster is being weird and looks fucking silly, but everyone's taking <laughs> this really seriously. And that's kind of intoxicating in its own way. And I like, and you get to the showdown between Gojira's just learned how to stand up in yep. like not in the water so it's like learned something super critical and then they've got the attack helicopters and and it's like okay we're locked we're gonna blow it up we blow it up yes no good bad and prime minister's like i think so and then someone's like ah you might kill like two people and he's like ah <laughs> uh, maybe don't actually and, and and the movie sort of like sets that up to be like his tragic downfall that he's punished for right like that's mm. that's his his arc if it's trying to make a moral argument and in a in a post-covid world i sort of agree it's like 98 percent of people who get vaccinated will probably be fine two percent uh, might still be bad ship it don't ship it now in the real world we have like a good a good basis for people to say yeah ship it 98 percent right, right. very good ship it right so like that's that's sort of like the the issue that it has with this man is like he's either indecisive or when he makes a decision he errs on the side of caution too much. I can see how that's politically conservative, but I can also see how there's like some moral fiber there. I can see the conviction there. Um and then halfway through the movie they kill the prime minister. <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, the best character by the yeah. way. Like, he's the only, the only character, right? 
It's funny yeah, because Rondo, that's the character that I, I think the Japanese audience is going to get the biggest, like, oh, this guy's an idiot response from, because that's very, like, how dumb the, the acting PM at the, at the time of Fukushima was just like, he was an idiot. He was forced to resign because everyone was like, look, you, you fucked that up. <laughs> so, but yeah, for me, like, as I like, I'm like, oh, at least he's try like he's got his heart in the right place you know he's relatable i think everybody's had that like boss who's in over their head but you're like waiting for them to make a decision on something and it's affecting everybody and then stuff's going to crap and so he's relatable in that way and like i can appreciate that but also he feels real where like every other character in this movie to me feels like emotionless robotic just not even like it lacks humanity and it has this like very distinct sense of coldness and i'm sure you can hear my child upstairs screaming so i apologize for that but like it's it's one of those things where i find the characters to be the film's weakness because none of them have any sense of charm none of them have any sense of they care about the people what they care about is the government and the the government fixing all the problems and they talk about the economy and they talk about um you know, the GDP falling and, and things are going to crap, but it, there's never a sense of like they care about people. And the one time they, they, they do reference some of the people, they're talking, they're making fun of the reportings talking about how like there's people that are trying to worship Godzilla as God. But, like that's that's what we see of the, the civilians. Sure, you right. get like shots of people like at the end of the movie that are in shelters, but that's about as far as it goes. There's never a sense of loss. And like for Ano to model the movie after Okamoto, and you have all these board meetings. The the first like opening sequence of um, Japan's Longest Day, there is emotion in that. There are people, there are soldiers weeping. There are people that are they're they're wrestling with losing the war and how to deal with it. You can at least relate to that. You get none of that in Shin Godzilla, and like that's where I think it just loses me. After Godzilla takes a nap, like I, the movie to me just falls to pieces. But a big part of that is because I, I care little at, about any of these people. Because they all they just they come across as weasel politicians, and I and I hate that so much. I mean, even yeah, like Yaguchi seems like he would almost be a villain. In I, I want to punch him thing. in the face. Like, well, well, I I mean, it, it it what Joseph said makes sense. He's he's young Gendo Ikari. <laughs> you know, he he's 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 conniving. He 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 takes all these backdoor channels um, and does things behind the back of the UN because that's what it's going to take, um, you know, because they need to have, and this is a quote from the movie, they need to have balls, you know? Right. And so, yeah, yeah, so it's like, he he's, I don't like him. <laughs> no. Oh, and I, I, I'm going to put it out there, too. He's He wears a white shirt uh, with a red tie. Make of that what you will. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought of that, too. I mean, it, you mentioned some of the most hated people by Godzilla fandom earlier, but I think they deserve to be brought up specifically in this movie because it makes multiple visual references to their finest work. Uh, <laughs> Roland and Emmerich. As much as this movie is a love letter to the original Godzilla, it's also a love letter to Independence Day. Oh, right? and, and it's, it's funny you mention that because... Um... Um, a guy that a friend of our podcast, Norman, he spent um, like he's a Westerner that spent the most time on any 
Godzilla sets. I mean, and Gamera, he he's he's very close with Kaneko and Higuchi, and he said he told us he said Higuchi loves Independence Day. This is very much a like this is very it's it's intentionally very Independence Day. Yeah, it's supposed to stir mm-hmm. that same kind of. You know, people that watch Independence Day on July 4th or whatever and make memes and are like, I'm so proud of 4th of July. Like, this is the Japanese version of I, that. In a if lot I'm of allowed one moment of jingoism, um, Rondo Yaguchi's <laughs> speech, which is clearly modeled after the, you know, the Paxton speech, um, Pullman. I always miss thing. Thank you for correcting me on my bills. Um, (laughs) It's it's clearly modeled after the Independence Day speech, and it is nowhere near as good. (laughs) It is nowhere (laughs) near as good as the Independence Day speech. He's just like, you know, you might die. We got to do our jobs. We got to kill Godzilla. Let's go. And whereas, like the American one, is like this whole fucking, you know, it it gets you right in your chest. It's so powerful. (laughs) Yeah. But but I I can confirm from inside sources that Higuchi loves Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, but he but he doesn't realize that who's he got playing Yaguchi? What's this guy's name? Hiroki Hasegawa. He's I'm, no Bill Pullman. He's not only is he no <laughs> Bill Pullman, but that's the wrong character. Like he's supposed to be Will Smith. He's really <laughs> no Will Will Smith, right? <laughs> and 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 he's no um Goldblum uh, either. He's no Jeff Goldblum either, right? Like, and that's, I guess that's the difference. Is like, as cringy as Independence Day is, three great lead characters. They're, yeah, they're, and they're all good. And I mean, I don't think Independence Day is a very good movie. I don't particularly like it, but the, 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 the that cast is doing the work. Right. <laughs> Similar premise, though, right? If you, if you boil it down, it's about like, here's a world leader who's not actually so good at his job and like gets the, gets the worst day on his job ever right mm-hmm. that's you know maybe higuchi should have like paid closer attention <laughs> to independence <laughs> well, day well independence day is ridiculous because it ends with the president getting into a fighter plane to fight the aliens like that's ludicrous that's literally like what's that uh, metal wolf chaos the video game that right. from software did like making fun of the idea of like an American president getting into a mech suit. Like (laughs) that's not even parody. That's what our media is like based on independence day. Whereas like Shin Godzilla at least has some sort of fidelity to realism where it's like, yeah, it's going to be like the working stiffs driving the trucks that are going to be the ones to ultimately kill Godzilla. Will they have speaking parts? No. Will they will their label uh, excuse me labor issues be recognized over the course of the film? Of course not. But like at least they're actually the ones doing it. It's not like Rondo Yaguchi himself has to like you know pilot the you know the ship into Godzilla's mouth. Like that would be absurd. It doesn't. If I may just say one one thing about the working class dudes that save Japan at the end of this movie. Crane Team One. I R.I.P. Crane Team One. I <laughs> desperately wanted one Jordan Peele moment where there's one last guy in a forklift that kills Godzilla and he just says "forklift certified, baby," and that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> 
all of Rose Emoji Twitter stands immediately because Forklift Certified is better than a PhD. Um, well, they do kill him with a bunch of. They do hit him with a bunch of trains, which I feel like that gets the the Roseboro seal of approval. What's up with like that? if, that, that, if trains I mean, are involved. <laughs> I think for the most part, with a movie that's had, that had budget problems and things like that, the CG is pretty decent. But that train sequence is like one of the worst, some the of the worst CG like I've ever seen. Up his body, like to the yeah, top they hundred, <laughs> like, they crash up him, right? And then it's, it's not. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, something. If you play the monster Zero March and then something happens and a kaiju like sort of awkwardly falls over, I'm just gonna like it. Like the train <laughs> sequence did kind of get me in the zone. Um, but I, I think a lot of that is is the soundtrack. And I, I, before it gets lost, I just do want to say, um, even though half the soundtrack is just straight up from Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Um. Shiro Sagisu did a really good job with with this is the first like Godzilla score since the 60s that's like given me the feels. There's some good stuff in there. I, uh, um, persecution of the masses and who will know those are the tracks on the soundtrack. One persecution of the masses is the one when the goofy turkey Zilla attacks and. The other one is when he's uh, blowing up Tokyo at night. Those mm-hmm. are those are those. That's really good stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a whole lot of Eva cues and a whole lot of old Ifuku Bay <laughs> music, also. Right. Um, I mean, let's let's can be we honest. Take a moment to talk about. Go ahead, Joseph. I think Ian and I may be about to say the same. We're we're not. Thing. We're going to speak on different <laughs> things. So go ahead. Okay. Your sync rate I, is my, is. I, this is a tough day for us. It, <laughs> that that the train sound is the exact same train of sound sound hit from Evangelion. Oh yeah, you're right. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's got to be like a self. I mean, I guess this is my reflexive fandom, right? I just assume it's a self-aware meta thing, not a we've got the one laptop with eight MP3s <laughs> on it. Let's just use them all. They, they, they reuse like. All the sound effects are basically 60s and 70s sound effects from Toho. Like, all the explosions, they're all in, like, all the old Godzilla movies. So this is more a case of, like, the Godzilla Ouroboros here, where, like, he probably got the original train sounds from the Toho movies, put them in Evangelion, and now they're back in a Godzilla movie that he's doing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I I wanted to talk (laughs) briefly about awkward teen Godzilla because I love it. I think it it's so freaky looking like it is such a weird choice to have him be this like googly eyed blood splattering (laughs) like inefficient just like a mess a disaster the minute he arrives on screen just like it's so gross in such a great way. Like I, I see a lot of people talk about this movie as being like quote unquote, a horror movie. I don't really think it is. I don't think that is like an accurate description of what, of how this movie functions. But I think the my reason- theater laughed when he showed up, everyone was just, just like, like, like- <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but I, I think what conversely, like the, the reaction of, of laughter, I think speaks to uh, like a, equal and opposite 
reaction of fear because it well, is so well, yeah, surprising. Or, or at least, yeah, or at least not knowing how, like, how do you even process that image? <laughs> like your exactly. brain cannot, your brain is just like, what do I do with this? So, so <laughs> and like, it's, go ahead. Sorry. The one point I was going to make is I love that his eyes are like big and googly looking on the young form, but his eyes stay the same size even as he grows. And so you get this sense of like him growing into his face. So by the time that he's got those like giant, he still has like the big sort of like dumb fish eyes when he's like true Godzilla at the end. But it's like, oh, you you thought this was funny and now it's fucking terrifying by the end, which I, I is a really cool. And there's like a dumb animalness to it that I really appreciate. Like Godzilla doesn't have a personality in this movie either. He's just fucking shit up because he's a dumb animal, which is like even more terrifying because it's unknowable in a way. I prefer those early forms of Godzilla to the final one. Like once he is like more like looks more like Godzilla, he's like. It's one of my le- it's one of the most boring versions of Godzilla also. Oh, that's what I wanted to say cuz he's a god incarnate. I don't know that he is. Like he seems pretty well, weak. First, first <laughs> like, let's have Matt say his point then I, oh, I want to yeah, get yeah. into that no, too. It, I was just going to point out like it, the Godzilla forms are s- such an anomaly because kids apparently love Shin Godzilla so like we go to Bird and I were going to G-Fest but like my, we have some friends who are in uh, Artist Alley. All the Shin Godzilla stuff sells like hotcakes. And the people that want them aren't the idiot nerds like us. It's the kids. So my son loves, loves Shin Godzilla. He would Your son loves the- meetings. He loves the monster scenes in Shin Godzilla because I skip all the meetings when we would watch it. Um, <laughs> but he, he loves that weird design. And actually talking to some other friends who have kids, like, same thing. It's they weirdly just love cute. Weird. <laughs> it's like weirdly charming i guess um mm. yeah i gotta disagree and maybe this is <laughs> maybe this is or that he's charming <laughs> no with 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 kyle i agree that he's charming um because c- i think maybe this is why kyle and i were, were so similar in our fandoms but we tipped different ways um i think the design of of mature godzilla is really fucking freaky uh, like this is, there's only two times that a new Godzilla design has made me like kind of sit up in my office chair and go like, hello, what is this? And this is one of them. Um, th- because body horror gets, me. and this, and that is a thing that Anno's good at. And this design yes. does lean into the body horrorness, uh, that his like jaw splits when he uses mm-hmm. the beam weapon that his eye needs to like roll back up into his head when he when he first uses the beam weapon freaked me out in a in a good way i don't know why that appeals to kids maybe i just don't <laughs> get the kids kids um, love body horror well, they love body- stranger things and he <laughs> does give off a lot of stranger things energy with the the jaw opening up like that too oh, that's not wrong yeah. that's true but i actually love the the final form of shin godzilla i dislike the execution and probably for like the same reason that i think um long story short like godzilla in this has no personality and some people have said like it's a very intentional choice but to me, it makes him pretty boring. Like, he's always shrouded in smoke. They can't really animate his feet very well. He's 
moving along the the screen walking through the city but he's really just floating through the smoke and that might be a limitation of budget but sure. like he just he just kind of waddles and stands and it's just not very like the design is great the execution to me is is, is horrible and like when's the last time godzilla got beat by literally a straw like he can't close his mouth <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well yeah this the, this is probably the lamest way godzilla has been defeated outside of like the 1998 movie like he falls down and he loses because he can't close his mouth. <laughs> That's yeah. literally how he loses. <laughs> it, it does let the air out. However, I was that he like is sort of floating along. I think does give him that aloof, that God incarnate feel like I do get it. Like that. He's this sort of like stationary menacing image in a much more relatable image of like cities being decimated that 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 works for me um the thing that i was gonna that i was gonna say is the it's funny because this movie is like the weird inverse of of gmk of kaneko's movie Mm -hmm. right and that's the other film the only other recent iteration of this character that is like first of all a radical redesign you know that movie's 20 years old right Ugh. i guess i shouldn't say recent <laughs> but now i feel i feel really old thank yeah, you yeah i know I we just, just had... triggered an existential crisis yeah, in everybody I'm, I'm joseph <laughs> just went to the beach <laughs> oh god you're gonna make going to the beach a thing aren't you That's i'm, I'm trying thing. my hardest the meat uh, out of control right now i live i live on a beach literally um <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a, these idea of like reimagining the character in like a in like a grim way is is good, and people rarely rarely do it. I think it's a good route to take, uh, you know, as opposed to the Millennium Designer. It's like, ah, what if he had funny looking fins? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. He's a motorcycle now. I guess. <laughs> West Coast Choppers did the new Godzilla suit. Um, I would I would like to put, push back on the is he a god incarnate thing a bit too because one of the things that I like is how you know it is a it's a movie about meetings as one of the guests on the Human Instrumentality podcast said Eric Therm shouts out to him um, yep. and in the the meetings of the Counterforce which maybe I'll get to that tangent later if we have time. Um, they're describing like the the scientific marvel of a you know Godzilla that like is cooling himself in his own blood and is constantly evolving is able to evolve himself and that is very much like an evangelian idea of god like a self-sufficient single creature that he he has his own S2 drive at this point basically yeah what do, what do they say they they say in the movie they they call him what a perfect organism mhm yeah um, which is also feels like a bit of a Jaws thing. Like I was thinking, and, Alien. Also, oh, yeah, <laughs> totally, one hundred percent. But you know what? The best execution of that is is the first is Gamma Guardian of the Universe when they gene sequence the Gauss and they're like, oh, it only has two chromosomes. Why would that be? And someone's like, it doesn't need to evolve. It's already perfect. Like that is the best oh, execution yeah. of of that. I think. Anyway, I'm sorry, Ian. Please go. No. He's he's tired of me bringing Gamera up. I've already done it. Too much. <laughs> it's it's justified. Those movies are great. 
that's another running bit that I'm trying to get started is being sick of Gamera references. But <laughs> this uh, is a Gamera reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the fact that it is a creature that is self-sustaining can change its form to like adapt to any given situation. And even by the end of the movie, it's like suggested that like this worked to kill this Godzilla, but whatever is going to happen next, you are not prepared for. And if so he's that so they're perfect. Why can't he close his mouth? Well, maybe he needs the, <laughs> the cold to become the next form that we see in the final <laughs> shot of all like the little humanoids, you know? Yeah. Like I, I realize that I'm playing whack-a-mole with takes right now, but like <laughs> I think there's there's an an interesting idea being suggested in the concept of Godzilla as like a perfect life form in this film. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't disagree there. <clears throat> I think a lot of it is, you know, some execution stuff. Yeah, I mean I I realize the 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 cranes in the mouth thing, like it's there for the reference to the, you know, Fukushima disaster and them actually trying to cool down the plant, and that's why it's there, and that's that's the more more important piece of the movie. But the execution, like Bird said, I think they could have done something a bit more interesting. And like it was just Godzilla really gets his ass beat at the end of this movie they they <laughs> they have this plan that basically works out with the exception of poor crane team one like essentially they come out more or less unscathed um and it's i can't remember the last godzilla movie where like everything worked to perfection and he just got obliterated basically yeah well that's just, it's just that's just bad storytelling well right? i also think it's, it's like japan can solve its own problems again it's it's yeah. the whole like see this is what we can do when we come together and we can have the right people in the right place in government yeah well like joe i can't remember if it was in your notes or in like you know a chat a t- well, like when we were chatting <clears throat> offline but i i i remember you saying like the it's not a very cinematic yeah climax it's not very it's not it it's very weirdly down to earth for a guy who's good at making weird otherworldly shit yeah you know, um, I guess, yeah, second half of the movie, second half of the movie, not my favorite thing. Uh, but people like to harp on the not closing the mouth thing, but I'd like to pivot <laughs> and talk about, I think, the most unbelievable choice in this movie. Um, how is What's it that? <laughs> how is it that Yaguchi and Patterson never fuck? <laughs> <laughs> there is uh some weird sexual tension there. The, I, <laughs> the look on Ian's face, it's funny, but the video has frozen with him wide-eyed as I've said that. That's just what it like looks like. It's him <laughs> holding his beer in the air, looking at me like, Joseph, what did you say? <laughs> um but like it's no well, maybe one they would have been more interesting if they did. It's he's. <laughs> we talk about how Yaguchi, in in terms of the story, is is effectively young Gendo Ikari, but he's basically Kaji. Like all he does is be swarthy and swagger around to get other people to do his job for him. And Patterson is basically like a Misato Oscar greatest hit, like. That is, I would be surprised if they like went through and cherry picked lines from the character well, for the first draft of the movie, right? So he's so that's my question is like, well, listen, no one is ever horny on Maine. Service. He offered him personal service, as you asked about in your little notes that we're all looking at. What so, does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. What does uh, personal service cost? 
Is this That's tax deductible? That's a great deductible? segue into the English dialogue in this, which is a disaster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or tell us... Didn't Higuchi, what, what? like, apologize at GFA? <laughs> yeah, no, oh, yeah, that's actually true. Um, oh, my Higuchi, God. Higuchi, the year this... I think that was 2017. Yeah. They showed the... They, they had a Shin Godzilla screening, and Higuchi even, like, he introduced the movie, and he was like, look, the American reviews have, like, slaughtered this poor actress's English... We don't speak English. We sh- thought she was doing a really good job, so just like, please try not to laugh at her. Like, so I mean, I, I don't know whoever their English dialogue coach or whoever might be on Shin Godzilla. I don't think they were a native English speaker, and so that's why you get stuff like that. That and uh, two plus two cooperation. Like, I, I don't. What does that mean? I don't know. Wait, hold- <laughs> I, I hold on. I I ha, I'm I I am like seconds away from pulling this up. Um I'm going to read a line of dialogue um <clears throat> from uh from Shin Godzilla. Um so uh this is Patterson. Um she just uh finishes proposing a US Japan joint team. Um and then uh Yaguchi's friend, the I think the guy with the glasses, he says Okay. From the government's point of view, it is for that reason that we would agree to a 2 plus 2 cooperation. However, as the army experts will remain as the backbone of the government, we have to respectfully decline your offer to remain at the center of decision making. So, I think what is being said there is that I get the <laughs> I, I get the gist of it I, enough <laughs> to know what they mean, but it is it's 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 that, baffling. That sounds like yeah. they just ran it through Google Translate, and they're like, "Yeah, this is this seems right. It's fine." Her character in general is definitely the most baffling part of the movie for me, especially where it leaves off um, with the idea that like, so she's like a hot commodity to possibly become president of the United States in like ten year, ten fifteen years or so, and she's like having this extremely flirty relationship with also the potential prime minister of Japan. Can you imagine the geopolitical clusterfuck (laughs) if the president of the United States and the prime minister of Japan were like fuck buddies? Like this is like an absurd note to end the movie on in my, in my opinion, like holy shit. You take this like incredibly serious approach to geopolitics for most of the movie, and then you end it with like, "Yeah, well, maybe they'll be in bed together." Literally, you know. <laughs> See, that would have been the better choice. Like, I just want some like existential post small apocalypse angst fucking, and then just a little line of the movie like, "We both become leaders of our respective countries. This will be a scandal." Someone's like, "I just killed a giant monster." And all my friends are dead. <laughs> Don't talk to me about this right now. Uh, that character is weird. Um, <clears throat> I want to bring up something that I have not brought up on our own podcast, just because yeah. when I've brought it up outside of our podcast, people who are usually white explain to me why I'm wrong, and that bothers me. Um, but 
So you have this character, she's half American, half Japanese, so she's biracial, like moi. Um, I'm half... Yeah, yes, me and Joseph, we are both biracial folks. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of want to get his feelings on this, because this is something that just, because it's tied into my own, like, identity, will always kind of, beyond other things that we've talked about, kind of put the movie at arm's length for me. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's this character that is, she's, she's biracial, and, you know, she makes this choice to stay in Japan and risk getting nuked to, I guess, she's, she doesn't do anything. She doesn't contribute to this plan. Um, and, you know, that's, and, and, you know, of course, she, she talks about, well, when I'm the United States and you're the prime minister, la, 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 la. But, uh, and it's something I, I feel in the movie, but also, the, and the actress said this, um, she said, um, <clears throat> uh, well, so her, in the beginning of the movie, she's, she is a little more American. She's not dressed appropriately because she was out partying. You know, right. she asked where the shot, where, you know, oh, where's the nearest Zara store? You know, she's a, you know, kind of almost the ugly American stereotype. Um, and then we see her change as she stays in, in Japan and, you know, even the actress, uh, uh, Satomi Ishihara, she said about, you know, this character in her, I guess, arc, you know, she feels the blood of her ancestors' country stirring within her. And um, that uh, uh, that's why she sides with her Japanese counterparts, making her, this is, <laughs> this is what she said, she said that makes her more sympathetic in the process. And I, the, yeah. as a biracial person... I I don't know that I can take that without some kind of offense um because it's you know I, me and and Joseph we don't get to choose what half of us is like real you know yeah it, it, and so like even if one day I come around to liking the movie like I'm still going to be like it's still going to be outside of my grasp. And I, I don't know. I mean, people listening that, you know, might be white or whatever, I mean, they might not quite get what I mean, but it is one of those things where it, it ties into, like, my specific identity. And, and, and of course, it, me being the curious guy that likes to research stuff, like, looking up, like, how biracial people are treated in Japan, I mean... I encourage people to check it out. It, it's not good. Um, what's the tennis player? Um, uh, no, me, Asuka. Yes. Um, she, like, it's a little bit like here, from what I understand, where, like, the Zoomers are like, oh, yeah, she's awesome, she's cool. But the older, you know, older generations are like, oh, she's like a half half breed and and all this and and the the interesting thing about japan is that they they are having to treat their biracial people people better these days because their birth rate is declining and so the the old timers over there that you know frown upon you know people that aren't 100 percent pure blood japanese they're 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 basically having to acknowledge it's it's the people that are half black half white half you know hispanic 
in Japanese. They're the people that are going to carry this blood, the Japanese blood. And the old, the older folks there, they have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, that she bothers me. <laughs> Joseph, I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd really like to get more of your thoughts on that, just because you're in the same uh, pickle that I am. <laughs> it's worth noting before we go into my subjective response to Patterson as a character. Um, it's worth noting that Japan as a country is not as monoracial as the Japanese government would have you believe. Uh, that's going to get covered a little bit in our series on satoshi khan because satoshi khan is from um what's what's the northernmost uh island of japan hokkaido hokkaido where the the native people of hokkaido the ainu people are not what you would consider to be oh, yeah. generally quote-unquote japanese right that like, is a uh, racially distinct it's a yep. whole fucking thing and oh yeah that informed uh satoshi khan's work something that hikiano doesn't have to deal with maybe i don't i don't know his entire lineage but like it doesn't seem that way um it's hard it it, it, it's hard for me right so like on the one hand i agree with you completely on the you know i can't i can't be all american i can't be all white i can't be all brazilian i can't be all latina i don't i don't get to be all of that right at the same time to me to be an american is to be a hybrid yeah (laughs) and 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 to me to be brazilian also means maybe brazilian more than almost anywhere else in the world means to be a hybrid because uh, i don't know if what you know about the big difference between colonialism in america and brazil uh the brazilians really loved fucking like a lot (laughs) uh did a lot of it a whole lot of fucking with the oppression going on uh it's a crazy sliding scale of, of skin tones and features there. Um, so given that, I, what do you take of a, of a character that treats being biracial as a binary choice? Yeah, I, it's, I, it's I uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know another word to use other than it's uncomfortable. It's a really facile way to think about biraciality or or being multi-ethnic as a as a phenomenon yeah wow how is this like the heaviest episode we've done since the oscar (laughs) episode i did not expect that to happen ian but suddenly uh i'm feeling pretty glum well, this is a conversation that I, no one has about this movie, right? That's right. why it's interesting. To, that's why it's good podcasting. Mm-hmm. I, I never see this brought up ever. <laughs> so, right. It's so interesting. If I may interject, um, your original description of like summarize like what the actress said about the role, about her uh, as like there's something that in that description lends a lot of credence to like the hard right interpretation of this movie to some extent like the idea that once once this character sets foot on japanese soil her japanese blood starts to like rise up there's something really icky about that to me (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah like that it it sort of says like you know 
the jingoistic quality of the film really sort of kicks in there where it's like her Japanese-ness overrides whatever Americanness she brought to the table when she originally arrived. Um, but I don't even know if the movie goes to enough lengths to support that reading of the, of the movie itself. You know, like it's, yeah, an this is where we're looking into subtext. Thread. Yeah. Rather can than I, text. Can I ping pong off that Ian? Please. Uh, your observation there has helped me clarify one of my, let me clarify my, my feelings of, about being biracial and my experience as a biracial person. Um, I never feel more profoundly American than when I'm in Brazil mm, because mm. I don't, I don't see the connections I have to that side of my family and my culture and my heritage. All I can feel are, are the little disconnects. Right. And simultaneously, I never feel more Brazilian than on the 4th of July. <laughs> Like right. when everyone's yeah, proud yeah. to be American, all I can think about is how all the ways that I'm not American. Right. Maybe that says more about like my particular neuroses, but you'd think for like a guy who like psychoanal psychoanalysis is his like fucking thing that he'd be able to like, and maybe it's the compression of being a film, not a television series. Yeah. Right. But it seems like, I mean, then again, Oscar's mixed race in the TV series and they don't cover this. But you Anno seems like the kind of guy who would be able to give a character room to voice that. Mm -hmm. To observe that. And he doesn't. Right. The the incredibly dry characterless tone that we've talked about that lends this movie <laughs> some of its positives. It also cuts off the possibility for these other angles of interesting exploration into the psychology of these characters. Yeah. Um, I would like to hit a few other positive things. Uh, and then I, I feel like I'm sort of running out of things to say about this movie. Go for it. But um, there's a lot of really stylish filmmaking in this movie that I really, really love. Uh, there's a lot of like the, the camera placement of like inside of the phone receiver as the we phone get is a lot of strange out. POV shots. We get a I POV. We get a POV from a chair, a laptop, <laughs> painting. Uh, yeah, a phone. <laughs> all of the text that gets thrown up onto the screens. It's like to me, that's like such a great way of bringing that kind of hectic uh, Ava energy into a live action film. Is to like have these like really jarring and bizarre and constantly furtive and inventive ways of like presenting. Uh, the movie, like I was, I was looking up some of the reviews, uh, and so D David Elrich in his review for IndieWire, uh, when the film originally came out, pointed out that the cinematography for the more like drier bureaucratic stuff is all these like really static, really symmetrical, really like traditionally organized shots. And then it's when they go to the counterforce that's like working underneath the bureaucracy. You get all these really wild, inventive like cameras inside of laptops and mm -hmm. on chairs and stuff like that, which I think is like a really smart choice because it points to the sort of one of the underlying themes of the movie, which is the, like the power of creativity and thinking outside of the box will lead you to the solution to solve the problem instead of 
playing quote unquote playing by the rules um which also leads me to the other thing that i want to bring up which is thomas Pinchon. um oh my god i I will i will make this brief but thomas (laughs) Pinchon at the novelist loves godzilla apparently he mentions it pretty explicit yes yeah uh he mentions it pretty explicitly in the novel vineland which is like considered the worst of his novels but we'll that's a story for another podcast um where there's like an entire sort of section about like a insurance agency arriving on an island to find a giant godzilla like footprint in the island and it turns out that it's like insurance fraud (laughs) um like it's like kaiju based insurance fraud which i like love as a as an idea but even this uh like Rondo Yagachi's whole team feel, reminds me a lot of the counterforce in Gravity's Rainbow, which is why I keep referring to them that way, because they're sort of this like covert group of weirdos operating against the systematized, bureaucratized uh, surface government that is trying to do everything through a series of like red tapes um, and you know systems, and. I would love to know if Thomas Pynchon is still out there. We don't know if he's alive or dead. I would love to know what he thought about this movie because <laughs> it seems like you don't know if he's alive or dead. <laughs> he's a famous recluse. He like, he, okay. no one knows what he looks like. He, like the last pictures of him were from like the fifties. So like we literally <laughs> don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. The, that team of outsiders, which we didn't mention um, the guy with the towel around his neck. I mean, I know, uh you guys say you love body horror um if you've seen uh, uh tetsuo the iron man right um that's shinya uh, sukamoto uh, uh. the director of tetsuo and a whole bunch of weirdo uh cult films like that um he's awesome but yeah he's uh we should probably just mention that because he's the man in in retrospect and i think you you bring up this idea of the counterforce i think that may be where i'm getting the nerve energy from Right, because mm-hmm. Nerve definitely has the counterforce from Gravity's Rainbow energy going on. Right, like all it needs is Yaguchi to get into Vril energy and try to launch a rocket. <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> he's already there, um, and that would complete the right wing turn of the entire movie. Um, regarding the cinematography, I didn't expect to see this, but. Um, he does a lot of face over face, not overlay, but like character blocking such that one character will be facing or near facing the camera. Another one will be in the background with their face positioned from the camera's perspective near, but spatially far away. Mm-hmm. And that is really famously something Ingmar Bergman did in persona. Totally. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we never brought up Ingmar Bergman. when We were talking about Ava. We're going to bring it up a lot when we're talking about Cone. <laughs> right. I, he seems like a connective tissue between those two directors. And um, the, the idea of like there being like a Godzilla film that's openly inspired by Ingmar Bergman makes me happy. I, I wish it was better than this one. Uh, but I will say I still do like this one. Uh, if only because big lizard make thing burn part. Good. <laughs> pretty um, burning pretty you know it's interesting i don't like we talked about the movie is like okay out with the the system politicians in with the 
the outsider guys. Um, I I I don't know that the movie's thesis would work in real life. If for, for well, for a couple reasons. There's there's real life examples here. The first one, we as Americans have seen what happens when we uh, write things into um, legislation uh, that we do in a after a disaster um and and it it doesn't work uh well um of course the patriot act (laughs) being a big one um and then uh yeah i know no Um, child left behind what (laughs) so that part i don't know i don't know that that works either and then it's interesting um the first half of the movie does tap into some of the covid stuff with you know i mean our 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 country did a horrible job of managing that crisis and very delayed response time. But on a bigger scale, COVID is also an example of what this movie's solution, uh, why I don't know that it works because we had this as America, we, we do have a lot of autonomy and, uh, you know, the government, especially Trump's government, you know, don't worry. We have everyone's, interests uh at heart just trust us and they completely bungled (laughs) COVID-19 and so like this is also why and I mean to draw more of a parallel Trump is an outsider to the political system like I said I'm not Japanese I don't know what the best idea for Japan is I don't that's not what I'm trying to to say but I am saying the idea that all you need to do is get these outsiders in that as long as uh, you know they say so, they'll always have our best interest at heart. In America, we had that with COVID, and it just so happened those people were witless science deniers. Obviously, Yaguchi's guys are not science deniers, but I mean, okay, after the uh, like, what president? If if Yaguchi and his guys become the next prime minister and cabinet, what that's also going to set a precedent. So I don't know that the 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 solutions work at least from my dumb American viewpoint. <laughs> right. I, I feel like this kind of taps into something that Joseph and I mentioned in our conversation about Rebuild One, which we sort of just had as a joke. But the idea of like how America would respond to the Evangelion situation, since they are part of the plot, you know, very loosely in the Evangelion universe, like. The idea of the American government trying to respond to a kaiju crisis is like, horrifying. oh, my God, <laughs> just like I'll, I'll just hang out with the monster. I'm team kaiju at that point. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, was right. that the I don't I, you might have made this joke a couple times. But was that the episode where you were like, maybe that was rebuild one that you yeah, on your exactly. on your show when when you were like, yeah, if, you know, a, a Ramiel was blowing up the city, you know, half the people would be like, what? There's no geometric thing Screaming shooting cute. lasers <laughs> at us. Does, does this mean that um, y- Yaguchi, is he Fauci? Is he going to become the most hated person in Japanese <laughs> politics? Actually, I think maybe that's the biggest miss, right? Is like, what if they beat Godzilla and everyone hates them for it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right, like the the Gojira worshiping party that rises to power <laughs> in replacement. Because <laughs> they've got this big, you know, like he's still in the middle of the city by the end of the movie. Like, of course, he's going to become a, a symbol of worship by the end of it. You know, yeah, yeah. that's very the likely to happen. Actually, <laughs> the, in, the the interesting thing is like. Yeah, this is the first Godzilla movie where, like, man really, really overcomes nature. It's not really addressed, but I think as long as they could make co- more coagulant, they could probably just keep them, Frozen. keep them there and yeah. Yeah, turn them into a apartment complex. Or something. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting. If you really want, if you really want to look at the difference between the like the philosophy of this film vis a vis the philosophy of the of the other film. Or, or the most clear precedent to this film, besides Evangelion, which is by the same creator, is, of course, the original Godzilla. And the thing about the original 1954 Gojira, the thing that I think makes it truly great, is um, it's a film about the morality of weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't actually posit, what if the enemy has a weapon of mass destruction? The, the original Gojira is about, oh, uh, Dr. Sirizawa has invented something even worse than the atomic bomb. Should he use it? Yes mm-hmm. or no? That's the moral question, right? This film, at no point in time, poses the moral question to Yaguchi of, like, you may have the networking skill and, like, the hot American chick with a butler. And like the weird <laughs> scrolls written in a madman's pen that will let you subvert government completely. And it, it never wrestles with the question, not even once. Like, should I undermine all of democracy just to kill a giant monster? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, that's the weakness to, to me. Yeah, the, the movie. There's some pointed barbs at democracy early on, even. Uh, so yeah, it's it's that that's that's a good observation, I think. Um, you know what else? And I'm gonna use this to pivot into a. I'll probably, I'll probably pivot to Matt because I know he kind of before we started doing this for some reason he went down like a crazy Google rabbit hole. But the the whole idea that Godzilla has a half-life like his radiation has a half-life of 20 days so it's like oh he's not even like the whole thing about him being irradiated like it's not it's 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 gonna be fine um and i don't know maybe this is like reading a little too much into it but also like well first of all if if godzilla is representing the earthquake that caused the fukushima um plant meltdown that doesn't quite work because that just means he's an unavoidable natural disaster right and so japan will keep getting more monsters over and over and over now if he's a representation of the because the original godzilla is supposed to be a physical embodiment of the atomic bomb and i I think that they were I don't know if they succeeded. I think they were going for this Godzilla to be an embodiment of some facet of that disaster, right? Right. So if you follow me. So that's why him being a metaphor for the earthquake doesn't quite work. But if he's a metaphor for the Fukushima meltdown, then we have to open up 
some more real world issues because then they say oh his radio radioactivity only it, you know it has a half life of 20 days he won't be a, a threat after a while now in real life the uh, the the you know abe's cabinet kind of spun the fukushima cleanup as you know oh we got it it's under control it's fine even though they're still dumping radioactive water still to this day and the Japanese press and even the American press and our government has backed their dumping plan too, um, has kind of ignored the fact that there's a dangerous element called carbon fourteen in that water. Um, right. The the reporting has made a big deal about how it contains tritium, and it's like, oh, but that's not very harmful. It has a, a really short half life. But seeing any studies about you like you have to go to like you know environmentalist research to find what carbon 14 is and why it could be a problem and how it could accumulate in people that eat fish and make them sick and things like that so if godzilla is a representation of fukushima's meltdown that's another place where we're bordering into almost a propaganda like don't worry about it it's okay just like that's what's being told mm-hmm. by the public, um, and I don't know, Matt. I know, I, I, Matt. I know you. Like minutes before we started, we're like, you just sent me a crap ton of links about this. So <laughs> I don't know if you have any feedback or any any additions to that. But if yeah, you I do, was, I would like to hear them. So this is one of the things about the movie that bothers me, and it's that at the film's conclusion, they realize that Godzilla's half life is like what you know. 20 days which means oh, yeah, that with believe it's 20 of, days, yeah. like two or three days two or three years that there'd be basically no radiation so it so it so the government fixes the issue and then they say well the issue isn't even that bad to begin with and like that's actually what happened in real life right they the government actually was implicit in the cover-up of all the details within fukushima they knew ahead of time that there was a risk they chose not to really act about it people within the cabinet went to the plant ahead of time like they knew this could happen, they did nothing, and then they refused to tell the public about it. Even going as far as as having the TEPCO associates were basically told, "We're not going to use the word meltdown." It was a meltdown, and by doing that, like this movie never addresses the fact that this is actually a man-made disaster. It puts the it actually blames America for the creation of Godzilla, but it never t- puts the onus on the Japanese government and the company. Uh, TEPCO, which is actually what it was. They never addressed the fact that like there was a cover-up, they knew about stuff ahead of time, they chose not to act. It wasn't just an act of nature. This was also their fault. And they, they were not just slow to respond, they lied about it. And like that's the part where I say the government being the solution, but also the problem, Like it just doesn't sit well with me. And this film really does nothing to to actually address that. You see some of the smarmy politics stuff, right? You see them making the backhanded deals. And I'm sure that's maybe Anno trying to say, like, that's actually how things happen in the real world. And he's probably right. Like, we all, we, we know that politics are kind of a dirty game. But the movie makes no, it, it makes no attempt to piece together what actually happened. And, it, and in fact, then it makes light of the situation by saying, well, Godzilla's not even as big of a, a threat as we thought he was. Um, I have a problem with that. I mean, I, I, it hits the wrong way. And it's one of those things where I'm not sure if it's intentional, but if it's not, it's probably a little, a very <laughs> tone deaf. 
Yeah. Well, that's that's the ideology speaking. You know, like it is exactly. a movie yeah. that purports itself to be about uh, accountability that in itself is eliding the responsibility of taking accountability for what it's metaphorically referring to. So yeah. it, in the things that it chooses to not address, you can see the ideology of the film would be like the sort of ham fisted way of, uh, of breaking that down. But yeah, no, I think that's a totally fair critique. Like that's. I can't argue with that. It's interesting. Um, Ian probably won't know what I'm talking about, but Joseph and Matt will. Um, Godzilla 1984, which along with this and the original are probably the most like grounded Godzilla movies. But that that's very much a movie about the Cold War and Japan's place in it. Right. And um, in the movie, you know, Japan, literally, the prime minister is between the U.S. and russia and they're all arguing over to whether whether to use a nuke on godzilla and the prime minister of japan says there will never be another nuke on japanese soil and it can't happen and whatever but if you actually look at the uh, real life in japan in 1983 japan were i believe yeah knowingly allowing russian subs into their waters carrying what nukes so yeah i mean it's one of those things where it's like come on you're 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 full of shit (laughs) it's a it's a it's a missed opportunity for for pathos like it's even if you're just ignore the ideology of it if you want like a storytelling element like what what i think this movie wants and doesn't have is what i think of as like the poltergeist moment you want the end of Poltergeist where, like, the the dad, Mr. Incredible, grabs his slimy fucking real estate guy. He's like, you moved the tombstones, but not the bodies. And, like, that scene is the point of the movie, but it's almost not really part of the plot, right? Yeah. But it's what makes the narrative rich, right? Mm-hmm. This This film seems to want that and not have. Mm-hmm. So there's it walks right up to the edge of having it and doesn't know how to cross that final step. Exactly. Yeah. The and it it I mean look that administration the the that handled uh, Matt what was the prime minister's name before Abe? I can't I can't even remember. I I do. Well, anyway, yeah, it's like I get it. He's his disaster response was. And this is kind of like my thoughts on the movie in general is like. I I get it. He sucked. His his response time was horrible. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I know Obama did some shitty things, but I don't need to hear about it from Trump. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the last person I want to hear about Obama's faults is from Trump. It's kind of like this. It's like I get the guy sucked, but I mean, our, there's a lot of stuff in here that does align with what Shinzo Abe was doing and that man is a, a disaster of a person um uh, yoshihiko noda okay and he was, uh, yeah and he was forced to resign yep but yeah i i'm i i, I want to hear how much he sucks but i don't want to hear about it from you know abe <laughs> people i want to hear about it from people that aren't like that um but i mean look i mean a, a lot of people I don't know, for whatever reason, they internalize my critique of the movie as being, you know, right-wing leaning as 
a reason why someone um shouldn't like it or whatever that's not what i'm saying i i and and it's very hard to have a discussion about the movie without getting super into that um but i it just as a movie i don't i don't think it quite works i mean and i like plenty of movies with political or messaging that i don't like i mean the rambo sequels i mean first blood's obviously sure. amazing but you know yeah that's that's you know right-wing garbage <laughs> but i enjoy it but you i know, need to so, jump in here because like there's a godzilla specific example that you kind of mentioned i love godzilla 1985 they re-edit they re-edit the sequence with the the russian um naval officer to make him the villain and launch the nuclear missile when in fact he's actually in the japanese version he's trying, trying to, to stop, stop it but, yeah. I, but i love that movie <laughs> so like we're not saying don't like the movie be- because of certain things we just i've always said i want this movie to be looked at in, in proper context and i think that's yeah. important and i often think that's what's missed in a lot of the discussions and by the way tepco which is again the the company that basically owns uh fukushima and runs it this isn't the first cover-up this isn't the first nuclear disaster like they have a history of this so it, it's it's a i mean it's a really big issue that that they've been facing that i feel like this film could have actually done a, a better job of addressing well yeah addressing i mean yeah the big business capitalism and giant corporations i mean that's yeah. that's that's another part of it that is kind of missing um ian and joseph have you guys watched the hbo series chernobyl I saw the first few episodes and I, I know exactly where you're going with this. It reminded, I absolutely yeah. see the comparison between the yeah. two of them. It, I mean, I know this was never like my favorite movie to say the least, but after watching Chernobyl, I was like, this is what Shin Godzilla should have been. Yes. They get into all the cover up. The main characters are scientists and politicians trying to figure things out. And it's like, and it, but it really deals with the consequence of a disaster almost identical to this and the human toll that it takes, literally and figuratively, you know, and it's like, I still think Godzilla should have something to say about Fukushima and 311, and Chernobyl is basically what I wanted this movie to be, but without the monster. Well... And I, I do want to say, I, I don't think Anno is a racist or an imperialist. I'm not trying to call him a bad person. I'm just saying, I, I, I do think that he may look at Imperial Japan with some kind of uh, rose-colored glasses. You know, the same kind of thing that people here in the South do, um, uh, you know, with how they think of the, the Confederacy or something like that. But I am a fan. I'm not here to, you know, try to put him down. I'm just saying what the is happening in the real world and how it lines up to the rhetoric in the movie. I was going to say, it's unfortunate that the film has failed in this way, but in a, in a weird way, the experience of like, of like talking with you guys about it has made me all the more glad that I watched it and that we agreed to do this because, mm. you know, you guys have done such a wonderful job researching this and educating me and usually i i sort of get the sense from having done this podcast with ian usually i get the uh, the sense that ian and i are the educators um and so like it's 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 refreshing to have to like be put on my back foot in yeah. in, the, in that way i yeah in the course of this conversation my feelings about this film have changed 
I know that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's it hasn't changed enough for you to be like, oh, I don't like it. You know. <laughs> oh, he's the look on his face is alarming. <laughs> big. <laughs> I did not want to change anyone's mind about this movie. That is not what I wanted to do. Big lizard make building go boom. <laughs> Always was, will make me happy. Like, yeah. which is, is that perverse maybe? But like, I don't know. It like, it, well, that's always going to make me, ha- it's what drew me to Evangelion in the first place. It's yeah. like, oh, this looks like a cool thing of big lizards There's make building go boom. Yeah. Um, well, you know. I, jo- I know Joseph where I know you got to run soon, so we'll, we'll, we'll get this wrapped up. But, uh, before, but I mean, just in case any, I mean, I don't want any, I, there's Godzilla movies. I like less than this. Um, and if you want me to say good things, I, I think the world of that nighttime attack sequence, and I do think, I mean, granted, I sh- sure the messaging is a little s- squeamish to me, but it is a shakeup the franchise probably needed. I mean, the, like the Millennium movies, even the 90s movies, like after a while, they start to just feel like, okay, with GMK being a big exception. And for better or worse, probably Final Wars. But they seem like work for hire. Oh, another one? Yeah, we'll make another one. Like, this is a movie with a very unique filmmaker, Anno, who, despite this film, I love. I, I look up to him as an artist. I love his work. Same. And But this is like, oh, this is the unique work of... And not to get... I mean, Higuchi, of course. I mean, Anno and Higuchi are a package deal. So when I say Anno, I just assume people know I mean Anno and Higuchi. But... They brought their own distinct vision, very distinct vision to the series, and Toho has kind of rolled with it. I mean, after this, they did the anime movie trilogy, with a, which I despise, but they kind of just gave it to these guys and let them do whatever. In singular point, me and Joseph and I mean, and, and Matt, I mean, we, we praised them earlier. It, it seems like this movie maybe also has kind of given Toho the idea to let's just throw this stuff to different auteurs and see what they come up with. And so that's given us a lot of variety. I haven't liked everything, but between the legendary stuff and all these very strange takes out of Japan, I do think that this movie set the franchise on a course it needed. It, like, it was a much-needed shot in the arm. Even, yeah, does it take some ideals that I love about the classic films and inverse them in ways that I don't like? Yeah, but this is kind of this really kind of opened the door to different takes and different creative ideas. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate it for that at least. What about you, Ian? Did we lose Ian? He's frozen on my screen. <laughs> They've chalked him full of coagulant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll pass the mic to Matt and hope that Ian uh, comes out of his deep freeze. <laughs> oh, on, on, <laughs> sorry. On some trucks just drove up and sticks some stuff into my mouth, and I couldn't move for a while. See, um, <laughs> I like that you both made the same joke. That's amazing. Um, I'll go ahead and it's go. Like we've been doing this thing. for a while. <laughs> I'll go and let Ian go next. Um, so I, I, I despise this movie. The first time that I saw it, I don't quite having time passed i don't quite have the same like hatred viscerally that i used to have um i agree with bird i think the best quality about it is that it is a very distinct vision um it has a, a very specific flair with the cinematography i can appreciate that i can appreciate that artists want to do something specifically with this movie and i don't like the ultimate outcome 
Um, I really do love the final form of Shin Godzilla. I think it's a pretty unique take. I actually am kind of one of the weird ones where I think um, I would have loved to have seen the original idea of like, here's the here's what Godzilla looks like, and now watch him just fall apart or you know evolve <laughs> or de-evolve. I guess I think that would have yeah, been with, cool, yeah, yeah, the original take where he was basically the thing, yeah, yeah, which is my favorite movie, which is why I would have you know loved it so much. Um, but I have a lot of issues. I, I, I honestly, I think it's boring in the second half of the film, which is probably issue number one. I don't like the fact that they make light of the problem of Godzilla, kind of as I mentioned earlier. I think the, the half-life and, and kind of making like that not be a big deal is a problem. And there's no characters to really latch onto. And for me, that matters. I, don't, I feel like this, this film feels like legitimately devoid of soul somehow. Yeah, that's... that's... Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just very dry and it lacks humanity. And I'm every time I watch it, the first half convinces me this is going to be the time. It's going to click with me. I, I can feel it. Thing this last and then Godzilla yeah. falls asleep, and it's like, oh, now I remember. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly how I felt. I was like, oh, I'm actually I'm kind of digging this. And then all of a sudden, the nap happens, and it's yeah. So yeah, I mean that's the re- those are the real reasons I don't like it. I, like I said, I mean I can hang with a movie I don't agree with, but when you're boring and I mean and you don't have characters <laughs> you don't and everything's so easy and there's no tension, that's when when you lose me. The only tension is the sexual tension between Yaguchi and <laughs> Kayako Patterson, Patterson. Yeah. and even that goes, you know. On well, it. if people like that, they can check out what is it, Shin. Dick, Dick Godzilla, is that Dick, what it's called? Cock, yeah. there's, a, there's a porn parody of this movie, guys, before we leave. There is a porn parody <laughs> of this. It's, uh, I forget what it's, I forget, it's Shin and then the Japanese word for Dick, Zilla, and, like, the cover is, like, a sexy, like, person sitting in an office, and it, it looks like it's just, like, office porn, but it exists. A little piece of me just died. <laughs> Rule 34, man, unfortunately. I know. Um, but yeah, I know uh, we've been rambling, and, and I know Joseph's got to get out of here. So um, thank you guys for coming on here. And I guess since this is going to be in your feed, thank you guys for having us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this will not be the last time we podcast together. Hell yeah. <laughs> And I, I know me and Joseph have, have bounced some ideas off, but, uh, I mean, Ian is more than welcome, always. I mean, um, and, and yeah, we will be uh, chatting again soon. Um, but, yeah, no, this is, this is a blast. Thanks for having us. I feel like I've, I've sort of said my piece about this movie. I, I still really like it. I think it's a really cool film. I think it's really unique. Um, I think that the fact that it forces us to have a lot of really interesting and uncomfortable conversations is part of what makes it really cool. I think that's true. Movie, yeah. I movies mean, are not just talking. the experience of watching them. They're the experience of the conversations that you have well, with your friends after leaving the theater. And, and I feel like, right. Just based, based on you guys's podcast, I'm kind of, I feel like you guys are kind of like me. Where like, when I first saw this, I didn't know what the hell it was talking about. I was like, okay, they meant it when it sa- they said this movie was for the Japanese. And so I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to talk to my friends that are into Japanese culture. I'm going to look up, like, what this, what was going on that this movie is trying to address. And, like, these movies can make us smarter people if we let them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? If we put in the work, you know? Like, yeah. That's, I feel like that's the most Anno-ish message to leave with, is, like, if you 
take that step to like have the conversations that the movie isn't willing to have, then yeah. maybe we to can quote, get something uh, good out of it. To quote Goro Maki, do as you please. Here's <laughs> yes. the movie, do as you please afterwards. <laughs> And Precisely. I would recommend, you know, learning about Japan. I mean, I didn't know any of this stuff. I mean, I knew about Fukushima, but I didn't know everything. I didn't know what the political climate was. I mean, and I, I like learning about that stuff. So, But no, thank you guys. Uh, I mean, this has been awesome. And uh, I think our, your listeners and our listeners are going are gonna to dig this. So. Hell yeah. No, this is great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so Good much. Good night.